Science has found evidence that Earth is the center of the universe. Science has found evidence that God exists. So why do they tell us we are insignificant? There's nothing special about humans. There's nothing special about the Earth. In fact, our universe may be one among many universes. And there's no evidence of planning or purpose in the universe. The Big Bang assumes that the only thing that exists is the physical world, so there's nothing beyond that. The truth is, we are significant. We are in a special place. I do believe that the universe was created by God. Always question the scientists and their foundations. They built their careers on this, and it would be admitting a major mistake. So they set up a satellite and they find out these temperature disturbances throughout the universe were all pointing to the Earth. Whoa, what is going on here? This cosmic microwave background is like we are seeing the fingerprint of God, the hallmarks of the Creator. Man is in a special location for presumably a special purpose. When I see how barren the other planets are and how bountiful the Earth is, something's different, and we're in the, just the right spot for it. We are in a special place. I do believe that. Science has said, stay over in this category here, and you cannot go into the God category, because that's going to destroy our science. Now, that is controversial, because anyone in the standard cosmology community would not even entertain such a notion. It's just too perfect to be a, a happenstance or a coincidence. This is the movie modern science doesn't want you to see. If you were paranoid, you'd say there's a conspiracy. As a matter of fact, you can go on some websites of NASA and see that they've started to take down stuff that might hint to a geocentric universe. I mean, how do you avoid this evidence? They have nowhere to go. It's the moment of truth for science. that an entire civilization would collapse on the basis of that simple idea. But it did. It did. The entire medieval civilization of Christendom essentially begins its very, you know, precipitous decline that very moment. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We're going to be chatting a little geocentrism with Rick and KT a little bit later. Mind you, KT isn't there for very long. Uh, but first, as always, the one and only Graham Beefcake Dunlop. <laughs> hey, buddy. How's it going, buddy? Good. What's a beefcake Thanks again? for the compliment. A beefcake, someone who's short and fat? No, short and muscular, husky. Like, you know? <laughs> muscular? Huscular? <laughs> huscular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> a mix between husky and muscular. Yeah, exactly. You got you got muscular calves. Yeah, yeah. My legs are pretty sore, actually. From ball hockey. Yeah, I forgot. This is the first show after the ball hockey debacle. Yeah, where you guys finished silver. Silver. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like to blame the refs, but we got burned by the refs. But no, it was good competition. Really good team we were on. It was actually pretty competitive, man. Like it was like just a small notch below like what I what I used to when we used to play in the nationals and stuff like that. It was pretty good. You pretty guys, good hockey. You went for nothing basically. What do you mean? You didn't win. Did you win? 
We got silver. Yeah, we lost silver. in double overtime. That's and we're up the whole game. Two minutes left. The ref, one ref waves off the call. The other ref blows it down. The, the fucking the ref that lives in the same province as the team we're playing. So what was it like? The Nationals. Yeah. Or was it just some random? The Nationals. Oh. So the Nationals, you don't have to go through a season or anything? You just enter a team? No, I you have to be. I had games in Alberta, right? And they released me to play for BC. I had played this year on a roster. You have to be on a roster. And then they picked me up. So any old roster so I could go play drop-in ball No, it has to be like registered with the Canadian. Like it has to be a league that is affiliated with Canadian ball hockey, right? You can't just be on a... Is that Seabass's league? No, no, no. It's just that's just fun in the gym. Okay. This is different. Yeah, this is national. The world actually. Can I keep up? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's intense. Yeah. I I'm, I can handle the puck and stuff like that, but ball, I find ball hockey way harder than Yeah, regular you can, hockey. I'm sure you'd be good at it, but I not this is pretty like intense. I'd just be way Full off behind or I'd just be cherry picking. Yeah. Say I'm not coming back this time. <laughs> It's okay. Yeah, I'm not four, coming back. Put it this way: we had four lines, and you shift like thirty seconds. Like your shift is like thirty, forty seconds. Yeah, because on the ice, like, I can like, on the ice, I can coast. Yeah, you're just running, and then you're off right away, running hard. So like, you got right. silver. That's not bad, I guess. Yeah, it was fun, but my legs pretty hurt, pretty sore. So you would say that the best ball hockey players in Canada were there. At, yeah. So you would say your team is the second best ball hockey team in Canada. Over thirty six. Over thirty six. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kept joking the over 40 but well there's only you're allowed five guys under 40 I think and over 36 and the rest have to be over 40 so it is pretty much an over 40 <laughs> so uh, the, over, the, okay put it this way <laughs> the guys on my team still play in the young division and they kick ass in the young divisions so but you guys will get smoked by a bunch of 20 year olds no not no uh, they'd run circles around no not unless it's the best 20 year olds well, yeah, not just any random 20-year-old. But no, we would have done good in the normal why would they? Ha- why would they have an over-40 league if you guys weren't a step behind? Are you guys just picking on old people? No. I picture, like, if I go, if I go, like, I was at Callaway Park on Friday, and there was, like, the water racing game, and I was going to play it because I like that game. But I looked down the line, and it's like a bunch of eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds. And, and I'm like, how do I play against these kids? It just... Do you have a sense of like a feeling of Chevy Chase or something like that? I didn't play. No, That's good. I played. Uh, I did win a bunch of prizes. So. Oh, good. I played the knock the tooth down game. Got a couple lucky bounces. I knocked down four teeth with one ball. Nice. Oh, oh wow, that's tough to do. It's lucky. It like knocked down the two and caught the edge of the mouth and bounced over sideways. I would say that's a. I would. I would say the equivalent of a seven ten split. Wow. And it's that last ball when you've you've already got the defeat. You've given up. You're just kind of hurling it. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, how are you doing? Not bad. Not bad? Recovering from Nice and tanned? Nice and tan, yeah. Nice and tan. People have been admiring my tan, so that's always good. Um, I had a week off. You're working off. on a fort, a tree fort? I built a tree fort. Half, I'm not creative. done a tree fort. Getting all creative, making stuff. You're yeah. a bit of a maker, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a builder. Yeah. I had a bunch of old pallets, so I took all the boards off. And made a tree fort. Is well, it I just safe? used it for the I just used all the planks for the flooring. Yeah, and fucking I spent more time pulling those fucking things apart than I did building the fort. It was fucking brutal. And my garage is fucking sweating. 
Probably lost a couple pounds. Good. Probably gained them back last night. Why? I went on a junk food bender. Did you really? Yeah. I woke up feeling fat this morning. Really? Isn't that crazy how you can feel it now? Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. I've, I've been off it since I was doing trying to whip myself in shape for the tournament. I haven't had any junk. Like, yeah. And I feel way better. <clears throat> but you can t- I can notice it now. I feel all bloaty. When I eat bad now, I totally notice it. You got a big old gut on you. You can see it sticking out. I don't have a gut. I've got abs, buddy. I can see it as fucking, you got to breathe while you're telling me. Let's not say something. Say something? <laughs> say something. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I've been considering trying something like what Adam's on. Yeah. Seriously considering giving it a shot. That's the keto- ketosis diet kind of? Yeah, ketonic yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's like the bull, it's basically the bull- <coughs> bulletproof diet. Is it? I drink the brain octane and the coffee. I have the, the MCT oil, but I've been on trying a bunch of different supplements as well. We should have our we should have my buddy Mike on for a little segment about supplements and uh and anti aging and stuff. He's all over it. Is he? Yeah, it'd be really fun to talk to him about it. Yeah. He's buying a near infrared light. And it's supposed to be super healthy for you. He's uh, all the scientific studies about it. A near cr- infrared light is healthy for you because somewhere in our fucking evolution we were because you have cells with photoreceptors on them. So you put this light, this light wave in there, which we don't really get anymore naturally. You can get it at the sunset. I think is that spectrum of light that's really like the slow oh, that's wave. blocked out by all our buildings. And it and and your cells like absorb it like crazy. <clears throat> I can't explain it properly, but so it's, that's we, the gist still, of it. Do we still get it here since the mountains block the sun before the buildings? Yeah, I think so. You know, I always have found the sunset I, over the mountains rather soothing. Yeah, that's why. It actually really is soothing for you. and it's Well, let's not say that's at why. A cellular that's, level. that's possibly at a cellular level possible is. explanation. Because I wear glasses that are UV protected too, so maybe well, that shit bounces off. There's a bunch of other research now that the sun isn't as bad for you as you thought, right? It doesn't really cause cancer the, say, the way they say it does. And it's actually healthy to be in the sun. It's healthy to look at the sun and get that. Well, yeah, for some Not people. to like a breathe area some, level. What about these gingers? <laughs> ginger giants? Yeah. Uh, there's some emails. Graham at grammarica.com. Um, like... Dustin, my buddy Dustin, he goes out in the sun, man, like a match. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, like, building up a base. But he, like, he, like, gets a crazy sunburn, and then two weeks later he goes out in the sun. You know why? Because his ancestors were living in caves as giants, double <laughs> rows of teeth. Huh. Yeah, so there's, now, now, like, thousands of years later, you're not good in the sun. Yeah. I could see Mike that. and I were talking I about the red headed I as think well. I, I think the sun thing is more to do with uh, the people who are more prone to sunburns are usually the people like I think it's more of a, like I don't get sunburned. Well, you're Indian. Yeah. Well, that is that what you're saying that yeah, well, Indian I people think, don't get sunburned. I mean, that's pretty obvious that yeah, the darker people don't burn. Yeah. But you you were saying something else, I think. Because uh, 
maybe we're I think it's like I like more about the aquatic apes thing where it's because you're supposed to be spending most of the day in and out of the water floating around in the water <laughs> not just you everyone I wish yeah. huh interesting I don't know I got a lot of time for the aquatic ape theory. Yeah, I got more time for the ET intervention theory. <laughs> and there's your. It's more likely that's that pretty much the. That's pretty much the. Uh, the god, you know, the giants mating with the. The human girls. Maybe. Then monkeys in the lake. They love the blondes. They're attracted to the blondes for some reason, and that's how the white men came around. Over the last eight, ten thousand years. So, where did the Indian come from? A different race way back, Neanderthals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should, I, I feel like we shouldn't keep going with this. <laughs> and a little bit of Denisovan. Don't you have a bit of Denisovan in you? They got pretty offensive on the first step away from white people, so. <laughs> Especially with our current climate of racism right now, we should probably just shut her down. <laughs> to Neanderthals. No, I think aquatic apes, man. That's it. I don't buy that one. What is it? Then? I just explained it. Maybe it's because the white people are more Slavic. So they're from the uh, northern regions where there's less sun. Yeah, but th there wasn't enough time to evolve that way. Says you and yeah. a bunch of other people. But maybe there was. Maybe before the Ice Age, they were all up there. Well, yeah. Very sure clearly, there's the some. Age. There's enough time to evolve into different races. Yeah. So that's an issue, you know what I mean? Unless we're more different than we think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we got to talk to Mike about this. He, he's he's all over that too. We'll have him on for a segment. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Uh... <clears throat> you want to start with this, eh? This this jingle is playing all over the world when people storm during every day. So, um, in Australia, I know there's a couple of ringtones, the US of A. Really? Yeah. Thanks to our listeners for affording that information to us. So, I want to talk about uh, I got a couple of emails from, we, we mentioned this from our listener, Angela, who's uh, talking about, we were talking about weather modification and all that. And she says, check out this cloud moving down the street video. And it's just from somebody's uh, iPhone. Is that and the you one can that see we can't find? And now I can't find it. Yeah, the link worked. I saw the video for sure. Allegedly. She, we even talked to her about it, her and I, because it was in, a, <clears throat> it was in like a a, lo, a low-scale, like, uh, black neighborhood, like, where you could hardly understand what they were saying and stuff like that, because their accents. And, uh, and it was floating down the street. No, because it was also the audio wasn't very good. Okay. But now I can't find it. They've taken it off because it's proof that somebody's making clouds and throwing them around through neighborhoods. Through neighborhoods? Like at like street it's level? It's through street, yeah, street level. Through, through being pushed through the street, like 
completely like a it was like a nano cloud or a completely manufactured cloud being pushed through the street. But I haven't seen this video. No, but I'm showing you the next one that she sent me as well here. So she says, uh, she says, hey, Graham, if this weather modification is really the result of military-grade intelligence and we're all fucking doomed, check out this other video. Please keep up the show. I will donate when I can. It's such a relief to know that you guys are on it. Take care, Angie. That's, uh, she's from, I think she's from the UK, actually. She's one of our UK posse. So here, here it is. I guess I have to show. I, I guess I have to try and. And I, and I actually have seen this video Why don't you before. Cast it to the fucking oh, because it's probably not hooked up. Yeah, it should be. There should be whatever. So it's just for you to see, really, Darren. And other people are gonna have to hear it. But it's a cloud that's actually fallen to the ground and it's floating through a fence. And it's in a different language. <laughs> So watch this dude. I'll fast forward a little bit. This dude gets up there and actually like pokes his. And they're making that? No, it's it's floated down from the sky. Watch, and they're just videotaping it. Like he puts his arm right through it. So I'll put a link in the show note of this as well. And they zoom in on it. Puts his arm right in it. Crazy. Yeah, it looks pretty genuine. Oh, it's only got 7 million views. So that's interesting. I wonder what all the comments are like. Read the top three comments. That's the coolest sheep ever. <laughs> either, either someone's wig flew off or someone finally cleaned their cat's fur after five years. And then somebody else said it's bird shit that turned into cotton candy. Anyways. You're kidding. So. Okay. That's the top three comments. Yeah. About seven million views. You know. Maybe we should just get fucking hit by a rock from space. Yeah. That's going to happen at some point, right? Unless NASA gets its act together. And NASA. NASA. I, I saw something. Did I see it on a tweet or July, something? July, hottest nudged, month in July. That they had nudged a... Uh, Asteroid into yeah. us? No, something, not, something about NASA on asteroids blocking them. Not sure. So anyways... Um, <clears throat> You guys, you and a couple other people forwarded me an art- article. So if you're thinking about believing in some sort of widespread spraying campaign, sticking on the same topic, chemtrails not real, says atmospheric science experts. So they say well-understood physical and chemical processes can easily explain the alleged evidence of a secret large-scale atmospheric spraying program, commonly referred to as chemtrails or covert geoengineering. A survey of the world's leading atmospheric science, scientists categorically rejects the existence of a, of a secret spraying program. So this is from Carnegie Institute for Science. So it basically, it says, uh, the authors of the study, including Carnegie's Ken Caldera, conducted a survey of the world's leading atmospheric scientists who categorically reject the existence of a secret spraying program. So it's based on a survey of two groups of experts, atmospheric chemists 
who specialize in condensation trails and geochemists working on atmospheric deposition of dust and pollution. The survey results show that 76 of the 77 participating scientists said they have not encountered evidence of a secret spraying program and agree that the alleged evidence cited by the individuals who believe that atmospheric spraying is occurring could be explained through other factors such as typical airplane contrail formation and poor data sampling. So basically, uh, it's a survey. They're they're touting it as like pretty hardcore scientific evidence, but it's a survey of 77 (laughs) scientists who say there's no secrets program going on. <clears throat> I'll take it. The research team undertook their study in response to the large number of people who claimed to believe in a secret spraying program. In 2011, an international survey, nearly 17% of respondents said they believed the existence of a secret large-scale atmospheric spraying program to be true or partly true. And in recent years, a number of websites have arisen claiming to show evidence of widespread secret chemical spraying, which they say is linked to negative impacts on the human health and the environment. So they said, we wanted to establish a scientific record on the topic of secret atmospheric spraying programs for the benefit of those in the public who haven't made up their minds. Chemtrails are bullshit. The experts we surveyed resoundingly rejected contrail photographs and test results as evidence of a large-scale atmospheric conspiracy. Hmm. So what they say, let me, I just want to, so here, this is what's interesting, because you know that they're going to blame it on this, right? Despite the persistence of erroneous theories about, I like how they use persistence in that too. Erroneous theories about atmospheric chemical spraying programs. Until now, there were no peer-reviewed academic studies showing what some people think are chemtrails or just ordinary contrails, which are becoming more abundant as air travel expands. Also, it is possible that climate change is causing contrails to persist for longer periods than they used to. I felt it important to definitively show what real experts in contrails and aerosols think. We might not convince diehard believers that their beloved secret spraying program is just a paranoid fantasy, but hopefully their friends will accept the facts. Hmm. So because there's all this extra carbon in the air, I guess, because of man-made global warming and climate change, the contrails are sticking around and being very persistent. Well, well, who were we talking before? We were talking. She, I think it was a she, was talking about how it could be a a result of the atmosphere changing to a more static field. Yeah, maybe. I'm not discounting that there might be some play in in like atmospheric changes to to change the way contrails show, but it definitely is different than it used to be. Word but about. they don't seem to be look, talking about, they wouldn't dare mention the fact that people have measured the jet fuel content and it comes up, some of the jet fuel that they're using is actually inundated with metal and chemical compounds that aren't normally in jet fuel. Hmm. Very interesting. Fair. So when you start finding barium and aluminum in your jet fuel, maybe that's causing the persistent contrails. Because someone's ripping you off because they're selling you jet fuel by weight? Yeah. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's about spraying these nanoparticles around the atmosphere and creating their own clouds, and then they can control the clouds like you just saw in that video, testing it in some Arab nation. 
I like it. I got another one for you, actually. I just came across. I mean, I'd like to, this is another one here, and it says, oh. it says cloud-like UFO glides through Philadelphia. Now, it may not, it may look like a cloud at first, but uh, wait till you see this guy. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. Let's see here. I'll cast this guy. <clears throat> I think you'll find this interesting, Darren. So it's this like fluffy cloud thing that's sailing through the sky. Like it's actually not floating like a cloud would be, but it's actually like sailing like it's some sort of nanoparticles all gathered together, grooving with a pict. Interesting, eh? So there you have it. Thanks for listening. It's like a falcon fart. <clears throat> or maybe like a UFO backfire. Yeah, it looked like it, eh? It looked it did look odd though, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Down and Graham going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Oh, it's you. Oh, I was, I was all mixed up there. What did you think it was? I thought it was uh, the synchronicity jingle. <laughs> so I got this uh, this email. This is from my uh, spam, my real spam from Dr. Stephen Greer's Serious Disclosure. He's got some uh, some quotes in here. Oh, that setting is blowing up everything. So do you want a quote from uh, Hoover? Helen Cotter or Wilbert Smith? Hoover. Hoover. So this is apparently from Hoover. I would do it, in brackets, study UFOs. But before agreeing to do it, we must insist upon full access to discs recovered. For instance, in the L.A. case, the Army grabbed it and would not let us have it for cursory examination. That was from J. Edgar Hoover, letter to Clyde Tolson. July 15th, 1947. Hmm. The man with the secrets. Speaking of like secrets, do you want to hear about the FBI and Tesla? Sure. There's a, <clears throat> so Stephen Greer's new movie coming out, Unacknowledged. Oh, God. Stephen Greer's coming out with another fucking. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with that? Maker? No, no. It's, it's, it's all part of the trying to get, uh, get the word yeah, out. Whatever happened to the little dude? I don't know. I don't want to talk about the little dude. I want to talk about oh, this memo. But it was a giant movie. Ten bucks, I think. The little dude is still. No, it's not. The little dude is done. <laughs> <clears throat> How come this Zoom didn't work here? So this is. Uh, as soon as I had spent my $10, I knew it was. God. So this is a memo for the director of the FBI. The subject, papers recovered on the death of Nikola Tesla. And that's from February 1991, or maybe it was archived in then. It says, We understand that the FBI may have possession of a number of papers found after the death of Nikola Tesla in 1943. Nikola Tesla was a brilliant electrical engineer, i.e. the Tesla coil, who was a pioneer in various aspects 
of electrical transmission phenomena. Number two, or it says C, it says, we believe that certain of Tesla's papers may contain basic principles which would be considerably value, which would be of considerable value to certain ongoing research within the DOD. It would be very helpful to have access to his papers. And then the next one, it says, since we have really no idea of the possible volume of these papers, we would be happy to provide a researcher who could assist you in reducing the magnitude of the search. If there are further questions, I am the point of contact within the DOD and can be reached at 695-6364 or 695-7417. And that was from Alan J. McLaren, Lieutenant Colonel, USAF Military Assistant Strategic and space systems to the FBI asking for, or asking, saying we can help you sort through Tesla's paperwork. On what day? I think that was 91. Seems late, but I think it was 91. That might have been just when it was declassified, or is that the date on the document? Well, that's the date on the, but I can't read it very well because um, I need my glasses now. Zoom in. I can't. I can't. It doesn't work really. Hmm. So, yeah. We'll go with 91. Yeah. Imagine that. Man, is it ever getting hot in here? I feel like I'm cooking. <laughs> the sweat lodge. It is turning into a sweat lodge. Uh, what else do we got? Let's go with. Oh, everything's everything's zoomed in this thing. Jeez. Okay. So that's a story I got from, and I told you I was going to read it during this intro because it's actually got something to do with uh, Earth being the center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> the Copernican principle, or that. Let's just say space and cosmology. So it says, "Hey, hey, Graham. Sorry, I spammed you." And this is from uh, this is from Dan, and it's called "Never Be Sorry." Neath. Never be sorry for spamming Graham. Okay. Spam Graham, Graham. And this is called Neath the Phantom Moon. So let me know if you ever heard about this. Here's a story I put together about space and a UFO you may not know about. Neath the Phantom Moon. Giovanni Cassini, an Italian-French astronomer whose namesake is belonging to the modern NASA satellites that explored Jupiter and Saturn, was the first to claimed the first claim to observe Jupiter's atmosphere, its rotation, as well as that of Mars. He is credited with discovering four of Saturn's moons. He also reported, reported a thing that made scholars believe he was just making shit up. In 1672, Cassini told colleagues of briefly seeing a planetary object very close to Venus. He said it, he said it then not much more for, for the ten, next 10 years until he thought he saw it again in 1686. This time he made a public announcement about the likely discovery of a new moon. He said it accompanied our sister planet Venus and estimated that it was a satellite one quarter the size of the scorching planet. Although it was only hypothetically proven to be present in the solar system, the planetary object was subsequently seen by astronomers intermittently over the next 100 years. 
It took until 1740 for leading optical optician James Short to be the next exponent to Cassini's celestial apparition. Using a 16-inch focus telescope and an auxiliary scope that had a 240 magnification, Short said he too had observed something just under a third the diameter of Venus. He reported witnessing a sharp and well-defined object quite near Venus. He observed the body for an hour until daylight. Then he lost track of it altogether. Almost 20 years later, the next credible reported sighting was that of Andreas Mayer, a professor of mathematics, physics, and astronomy. Mayer also recorded the path of a moon with an eliminated and crescent-shaped camped in front of Venus. Six years later, 24 more scientifically recorded observations took place, the peak of which was Danish astronomer Christian Horabau's observation of Neath's passage in front of the sun. Horabau is famed as the discoverer of sunspots. Also at that time, Italian mathematician and astronomer Joseph Lagrange documented something coupling Venus. He sought for long enough to describe it an orbital plane perpendicular to the solar system's ecliptic. Ten years later, and J.H. Lambert, a contemporary expert of the brightest planet in the sky, Venus, is reported to have seen enough of Neath to speculate that it held an orbital period of 11 days and three hours. So leaving only the impression of a ghost, the mystery object was rarely a subject from study from then on. However, lingering questions remained about what might just have been credible sightings, if not incredible sightings, from credible people. About a hundred years later, the Vienna Observatory speculated that all observations of Neath were nothing more than an optical illusion, a Chinese lantern in younger astronomy. Nevertheless, Jean-Charles Houzeau from the Royal Observatory of Brussels named the mystery object Neath after an Egyptian goddess. To explain its disappearances, he proposed Neath to be an actual planet orbiting the sun every 283 days, crossing paths with Venus every 10,000 or 1,080 days. So it wasn't long before the existence of the elusive moon was dismissed yet again, this time by the Belgian Academy of Scientists. They published a paper assessing each reported sighting of Neath, concluding it to be like a cosmic sun dog. They are very sure that a bright image of Venus would reflect between the cornea and the lens of the telescope, creating a smaller secondary image of the planet. A couple hundred years later, scientists are unable to observe anything near Venus. I'm not sure that their telescopes were just out of focus, focus but Neath does not exist anymore. From Dan. Daniel. Dan, man. Thank you, sir. That was a neat story, I like eh? when people said in their neat little story. <laughs> I, I, get, I get to use my jingle. And I guess if you come across something you think is worth telling everyone else, send it to Graham. And he will uh, hack it. And, uh, well, you did a pretty good reading. A couple, of, You made up a couple of words, but it wasn't too bad. Right on, buddy. That's it. Onto the synchro. No, I got a little tiny mini synchro. Mini synchro, mini synchro jingle. Yeah. I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone. And don't 
believe it yet. And this is from, oh, I just missed it, huh? This is from Jeff. He says, hey, Graham, here's my experience from this past weekend. It might be pretty common dream occurrence, but I'm pretty mystified by it. I had two dreams on two consecutive nights where I remember looking at the clock within the dream, seeing the time, and registering it in my brain. On both occasions, after seeing the time in the dream, I immediately woke up and looked at the actual clock to see the time was exactly what I saw in my dream seconds before. It was a whoa moment for me, especially two nights in a row. Whoa. Yeah, nice, eh? He also says, uh, we, we, we gave him a shout out in the Cliff High episode, and he says uh, he's, he's willing to help us out a little bit with videos. So thanks, uh, thanks for the email, Jeff. Appreciate yeah. it. Jeff D.? Fifty. Yeah, you're in contact with him a little bit. Oh yeah, he's, yeah. He's a good shit. Yeah. Uh, right on. Hey, I got some synchro feedback for you from one of our new bloggers. Nice. This is nice. So, uh, just for the people who think I'm too harsh, this is on my synchro rating from episode 182. I think I gave it a five or something. Yeah. You're pretty upset. Was it my um, synchro? No, the infinity symbol one. Oh yeah, yeah. You want? Is that yours? No. No. Well, uh, so I've decided mostly with Darren on his rating. The infinity symbol is too immediate an association within that context to be cons- context to be considered notable that two people thought of it at the same time. But I'd agree with Graham that the addition of the infinity symbol on the truck at the exact time is the point of interest. That is the low probability event that suggests non-randomness. However, that symbol is quite common as a vehicle sticker, jewelry, tattoo, etc. And the fact that this podcast has a higher than chance likelihood of discussing infinity makes me want to call this perceptual blip a perceptual blip more than a synchronicity. Only the second part of the synchro report is arguably the only technical synchronitious. I think you, I think Ulysses made up a word. That was definitely underlined by a spell checker, at least. Oh, that's from Ulysses. Aspect from of the report, which is what I said. It was worth more with just the second part. Oh, Ulysses. Jeez. Yeah. So he rates my rating as B+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we got people rating your rating. The funny thing is, is that the feed, the, this is the most feedback we've had on one of your ratings probably ever. And it's a, the guy's like... The poor guy who wrote it's like synchro of the year. Like he is just like totally astounded by it. Oh, is it his synchro? No. Okay. No. Oh yeah, sorry, bro. Have you heard from him yet? No. Okay. No. And <laughs> he got a five. Ouch. I think I gave him a seven on the second. See, that's one of the ones that you just can't you can't even judge because it, when it happens to you, when when I'm thinking about something and I hear you say it. It's more it's more astounding in person than than trying to hear it in a story. Like you just don't get it. Right, just don't get it. Yeah. So, anyways, thanks, Ulysses. Looking forward to your blog. Absolutely. Yeah, we got a couple more bloggers coming a couple on. Couple new and, bloggers coming on. If you yeah. want to be a blogger, that's ways uh, to help the show for sure. Yeah, if you want to be a blogger, email me and I can set you up, or email Graham and he'll send you over. Uh, speaking of Graham, spam Graham, send them your stories, your synchros, whatever else you want to send them. Uh, and it's at Graham at GrahamArchitect.com. Graham. G-R-A-H-A-M. Hake. 
jam yeah acromerica.com don't forget about the art art yeah last week's art was nap i think good to see him win one uh but yeah if you want to be an artist email nap at grammarica.com he does youtube videos and everything else uh rundown of um the rules and everything else which aren't too many uh but it basically you submit your art or you can and people vote on it for now anyway and we use that art we might change that in the future but we haven't decided yet or you can just choose episodes in the back catalog that don't have custom art yet and uh Submit art for them, and we will change it. Our goal is to have 100% custom art on all of our platforms. Yeah, and I'll, po- I'll post them on Instagram and stuff as well. Yeah, and it pops up in the player when people watch the episode on their podcast players and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And if you can support the show financially, support our value-for-value value model... Uh, we don't do any ads, sponsors, any bullshit like that. We provide all our content for free, no paywalls. If you find that uh, we provide you with some value, head over to our support page and uh, check out a few different options there, how you can send some value back our way. We have uh, monthly subscriptions, which are real uh, which are real people who really help us out. Yeah, they're the guys who pay the bills. You can do anything there from a buck a month, which is about 25 cents a show, right up to 30 bucks a month. If you want a custom subscription, let me know, and I can email you whatever you want. Um, there's a few T-shirts in stock. There's some T-shirts in stock. 25 buck donation for that. Yeah, or 30 bucks if you're not in North America. Uh, we are looking at some possible options of expanding our merchandise capabilities, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but, uh, maybe I should just mention it, and then we can get feedback if anyone. Sure, dealt sure, with it. sure. So, well, it's hard because we we make a few T-shirts, and it costs quite a bit. We don't really make any money off. Yeah, it's more of a marketing them, thing. Yeah, and be, it's a cool logo. Like it's a nice, it's a cool looking like, shirt. I think we'd always have some on hand anyway to just give to people. Yeah, but, a few. Yeah, it'd be nice if we didn't have to deal with shipping them all over. So we've been, I've been looking at because I I've got some merchandise through Redbubble. Which is basically an artist to T-shirt, and the, the, the shirts are good quality. You can get any style you want, and from my understanding, we can just make a page, upload our designs, and they do everything else. They handle the shipping, they handle everything, and they give us a couple, couple cents a shirt, something or something like that. I'm sure it's not a lot, but the shirts are never about the money anyway. It's more about you guys getting the shirts. This would give us the capability we think of doing like. You know, basically as many designs as we want. So throw up even episode art and stuff like that. Episode art, shirts, you get whatever you want. Anyone could submit art if we want. We just throw it. And if someone wants to get a sticker or a t-shirt, they can go ahead. But I'm wondering if anyone has dealt with Redbubble or knows of any alternatives or yeah, some feedback before we... So we would put a link in there and for people and it would just go directly there and then we get a small percentage from Redbubble for sales. And then other people that don't even listen to the show might like the logo and they could buy the shirt as well. Exactly. Mm. And the shirts do seem to be very high quality. Okay, cool. Yeah. So if anyone's dealt with them or know anyone like them or has any horror stories, let us know as we persist a little farther. Uh, Tell your friends about this motherfucker. What else? Just enjoy the show with Rick and so KT enjoy, about, yeah. you know, the Copernican principle and the history of cosmology. It's a gooder. Dark energy. It's a gooder. Yeah, enjoy the show. That's it. I swear with me.
right, so welcome to America here. We've got Rick Delano with us. He's the producer and writer of The Principal, the movie, and it's kind of about, uh, I'm going to let Rick talk about it, but it's about the history of cosmology and some new scientific uh, evidence and stuff like that about our place in the universe, let's say. So, uh, yeah, I watched it the other day. It was pretty interesting, Rick, and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I think that arguably the most astounding thing about the principle is that it is actually the very first documentary examination of the single idea that brings the modern world into existence in the first place. I'm so completely amazed that nobody has ever done a documentary on this idea of the Copernican principle, the idea that we are not in any special or central or favored location in the cosmos. Just stunning to me that nobody's ever made made that made a doc about that before. Right. Well you managed to get a lot of a lot of really, you know, top scientists on this as well in cosmology. And I really like the way you guys laid out the nice visual sort of history of the the theory of of us and our place in the universe through time. Well, thank you. We were very fortunate. You know, we, uh, we, we, we were always a very, you know, relatively small independent, uh, film production. And we were trying to animate some of the most advanced scientific concepts and newest in history. And there was nobody in the world who had ever animated the things you see in the principle have never been animated before. And so we were frantically trying to find somebody to animate them and, Really, there was nobody who could. So we finally asked, who's the best in the world? I mean, when you want scientific animations for a feature cinema film, who do you go to? And we were told, well, you go to Bouffe Compagnie in Paris. But forget it. They're way too expensive. And so I said, well, maybe they can, you know, at least point me in the right direction. So Mm -hmm. I I contacted their Los Angeles uh, office. And... Lo and behold, these guys got so fascinated by the project and did their own due diligence as to the actual science. And they decided that they would take the project on at a tiny fraction. Nice. Uh, And that's why the film looks so so freaking good. It's because, you know, people who got, those guys got paid a million dollars just to do the opening sequence in Thor, uh, you know. They took it on as a labor of love, and they did an absolutely stupendous job. Wow, that's really interesting. Hmm. So, so you went through the history. Do you want to talk about a bit about um, the history, just for people that aren't aren't sure, sure about that? Like, just to give them a bit of background, kind of like you do in the movie, a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, it, it's it's the most interesting detective story in the history of science. Like I say, modern science begins with Copernicus saying, you know, if I take the Earth out of the center here and I let it orbit around the sun and rotate on its axis, boy, I can explain a whole bunch of things that otherwise don't make any sense at all. And that really was the beginning of the modern scientific world because, you know, when we look up, we watch the sun go across the sky. Now, the thing to keep in mind is that up until 500 years ago, essentially every human being was completely persuaded that that was actually happening. That when we watch the stars wheel across the sky at night, essentially every human being in the world was convinced 
not unreasonably, by the way, that that was actually happening. It actually didn't make sense to them that it wasn't happening. But Copernicus came along and said, no, what you see when you look up at the sky is in fact an illusion. And what is actually happening is the sun is not going around. The sun you see moving across the sky is not in fact the sun moving across the sky. Instead, it is the earth rotating once per day on its axis and orbiting once per year around the sun. Mm. Now, you wouldn't suspect that an entire civilization would collapse on the basis of that simple idea, but it did. (laughs) It did. The entire medieval civilization of Christendom essentially begins its very, you know, precipitous decline that very moment. And here's why. Because up until 500 years ago, the Catholic Church basically ran Western civilization. Um, And the reason was that you and I and everybody else at the time was completely persuaded with what they considered to be more than adequate proofs that if something was in the Bible, it was true. And if the church taught something with the authority of Christ, it was true. You could take it to the bank, you could bet your life and your eternity on it. This was completely accepted. It was the basis of our civilization. So when Copernicus and later, of course, Galileo, who was the one who got in trouble about this, came along and just these guys were absolutely persuaded that they had a better system. And they became ultimately so persuaded that their system was better that they said, you know what? This is not just a better system. This is the way things really are. And that's a stupendous moment in history. Hmm. That is the first time in history that natural science decides that it is better capable than the theologians, than the church, than the scripture. That natural science is better able to provide us the way things really are. That's the first time in history that ever happened in the West. And it changed everything. Because at the end of the day, if you go to any protest against the church these days, it is absolutely obligatory. You are going to see a banner that's got a picture of Copernicus on one side and a picture of Galileo on the other side. And in the middle, it's going to say something like, well, if they were wrong about that, they're also wrong about blank. Fill in whatever you don't like that the church teaches. The premise has been established. The church can be wrong about these things. That was a stupendous moment in Western history. And clearly, the I think it's fair to say, and if you see the film, the first time you look at the Copernican model as opposed to the Ptolemaic model, it's freaking obvious that it's true. I mean, come on. All these complicated back and forth, curly cues, they go away. And we have what seems to be a perfectly logical perfectly sensible, uh, you know, the sun's in the center, the planets are going around at different speeds. You know, come on. 
I mean, everybody in the world except the very, very, very most hardcore Jesuit theologians were completely persuaded by the time Galileo came along. Now, did, and did, certainly by the time Newton came along. Didn't Copernicus, didn't Copernicus have a, a teacher that he got that off of as well? Didn't he build on somebody else's theory or was it the other? Was it Galileo off well, of his? I mean, if, if you really want to go back, I mean, Aristarchus, way back in ancient Greece, this, this controversy was nothing new. It was just new for the West. The Greeks had been through this thousands of years before. It, they knew very well that logically speaking, there's no way to tell the difference between the sun going across the sky and the earth rotating on its axis. You're going to see exactly the same thing, no matter which one of those things is happening. And of course, Plato and following him, uh, the, the Christian medieval and early theologians, Augustine, Aquinas, they assumed based on both the testimony of Scripture and on the profoundly logical evidences of the ancient Greeks, especially Plato and Aristotle, that the earth was in fact the center of the universe. They just had the better arguments. It wasn't really, it wasn't really until you begin to introduce this idea of gravity. Uh, and, and when Newton comes along mm -hmm. and introduces the idea of gravity as the force that is responsible. That's when the whole thing, every, essentially every educated person in the world became absolutely convinced that the church had been wrong on this. And the Newtonian blunderbuss was just so overwhelming that uh, essentially even the church, while it never officially backed down on geocentrism, it certainly stopped persecuting people who fought the Copernican system and quietly uh, ceased to insist upon the, uh, the, the uh, ancient biblical cosmology. And that was a traumatic experience for the church. That was the first time in her history that she had ever been forced to climb down, even if not officially, but uh, certainly in practice, to climb down uh, from a matter that she had determined Certainly not at the level of infallible teaching. Obviously, no pope ever declared geocentrism to be infallible. But nonetheless, it was the official teaching of the church. Galileo was condemned and uh, uh, held in house arrest. Uh, this was a serious teaching of the church, and she effectively abandoned it. That should have been the end of it, you would think. You, know, you would assume that that would be the last time that this question of our place in the cosmos would come back. But as we talk about in the film, one of the nice things about science is they are fanatical about nailing down every last nail. I love that about them. And there was only one nail that they could never hammer down. No matter how many times over centuries, from before Newton all the way up to the end of the 19th century, experiment after experiment after experiment tried to directly measure this universally assumed orbital motion of Earth around Sun, and every single one of those experiments kept coming back with the quite puzzling result that it wasn't going around the Sun, that there was no detectable motion of any kind uh, that would be uh, ascribable to the assumed motion of the Sun. This was driving them crazy. I mean, this was just driving them nuts. None of them doubted for a second that we were going around the Sun, of course. 
but they sure as heck couldn't find a way to demonstrate it or to measure it. We get to the end of the 19th century, and what may turn out in the long run to have been the most important experiment in the history of physics, it may yet turn out to be the single most important experiment in the history of physics, was done by a couple of very prominent American physicists, Michelson and Morley, and they had, with the... Uh, with the donation of Alexander Graham Bell, as a matter of fact, had built the most, at that point, the most expensive and most advanced technological instrument ever created by the human race. And that was the Michelson-Morley interferometer. And as we cover in the film, the concept is very simple. Back then, and by the way, this is only 120 years ago. This is just, you know, a couple, three generations back. You could not get a degree in physics from Case Western Reserve University or anywhere else in the United States of America unless you understood and believed and agreed that space was filled with a substance called the ether. If you did not understand, accept, and agree with that, you could not get a degree hmm. in physics. And so since there was this ether, everybody knew it. And light propagated through this ether. Everybody knew it. They designed an experiment that, okay, if the Earth is moving at 30 kilometers a second around the sun, then it's moving, it's sort of plowing through this ether, right? So the idea was if we shoot a beam of light in the direction of the ether, it's going to be impeded by us plowing through that ether compared to another beam that shot perpendicularly to that direction. So if you shoot the beams a known distance and then you recombine them, they should be out of phase just enough to tell us how much the Earth moved during the time those two beams were in transit. Very simple, elegant, uh, magnificently built and engineered experiment. There's just one problem. It was going to fail from the get-go. <laughs> it, 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 it showed, I, I'm not at all persuaded that it failed, I am persuaded that it certainly didn't show the result that they were looking for, uh, but neither did any other experiment, light-based experiment. It showed that the Earth was not orbiting the sun. So you have now 200 years of the smartest guys in the world trying to nail this last little nail down, and this one really shattered Newton. Right there, uh, when Michelson Morley was unable to detect the ether, if you want to put it that way, or detect the motion of the Earth, if you want to put it that way, because it's one of the two, gentlemen, right. and it's not just yeah. one. It's not just one. It's one or the other. Once Michelson was unable to detect that, we have two choices. At the end of the day, there are some others that you could run after, but they really don't make sense. At the end of the day, there's only two possible answers that survive logically. Number one, we believe the experiment. We believe what the experiment is telling us and we're all geocentrists again. Can't have that, now can we? <laughs> the other option is to reinvent physics, literally, from the ground up. And all of a sudden, time flows at different rates. Uh, is that where uh, ether got taken away then, kind of? Well, the idea is yeah, that the speed of light is consistent. It's relative to the observer. So if you're going at... The, the speed of light minus 10%, then the speed of light is still going 196,000 miles a second faster than you are. It's exactly right. What was done 
was, if you want to strip it down to its philosophical basics, Einstein and everybody else was faced with a choice of absolute frames. You have to have something absolute if you want to measure anything. The Michelson-Morley experiment could be interpreted in two ways. Either the Earth is the absolute frame for physics, that is motionless, or... There's no ether. There's no ether, and light is the absolute. The only absolute in the universe for special relativity is the speed of light. And, of course, given the options, it's not going to come as a huge surprise, I suppose. Door number two was chosen. All of physics was reinvented from the ground up. Newton was tossed in toto. Every single argument that Galileo made to the Inquisition, thrown overboard, abandoned. All of them are false. Every single argument Galileo made. As a matter of fact, if there was any intellectual integrity, of which there is very little, by the way, on this question, it, it ought to be generally acknowledged that the Inquisition absolutely crushed Galileo on this question. Uh, the Inquisition was absolutely right. All of Galileo's purported proofs were wrong and have been abandoned. What has replaced them? What has replaced them at first was Einstein's special relativity. And what we do is we transfer the concept of the absolute frame for measurement away from the Earth and we transfer it to the frame of the photon. And the speed of light becomes the absolute. So therefore, now, wait a minute, we still have to explain why we don't see anything out of phase on those two light beams. We still have to explain why it is. And Einstein said, well, real simple. It's a property of nature that bodies in motion contract in the direction of motion just enough, by the way, to shrink the measuring rod on the Michelson interferometer just enough to make it look like we're standing still. And I, I, I suppose it's worth noting in passing that when this was first proposed, when Einstein first proposed relativity, he was laughed at. It was considered preposterous. There was no physical cause for that shrinkage. There was no possible physical reason to assume that this was happening. And, you know, you wait 12 years until general relativity comes up, and essentially everybody's sort of said, well, you know, as crazy as it is, it's less crazy than the Earth standing still, so we're going with it. And that's why relativity prevailed, was because the only other, at the end of the day, after all of and these guys are very good thinkers, after all possible options had been thought through, there were two options. Either we're standing still in space, or the darn rods shrink and the clocks run at different rates. And so we went with rod shrinking and clocks running at different rates, and all was well. Except for one thing. Special relativity only applies in conditions where gravitational effects can be ignored. <clears throat> which certainly doesn't include... <laughs> The question of our motions in the universe. We certainly can't ignore gravity. And so he had to extend his theory to incorporate situations where gravitational effects could not be ignored. When he did that, lo and behold, 
the speed of light is not a constant anymore. Matter of fact, in general relativity, the speed of light can take any value whatsoever under the influence of gravitational fields. A heavy enough gravitational field, the speed of light can go anywhere it wants to go, which is why under general relativity, you have the incredibly inconvenient truth. General relativity states and must state, and if this is false, general relativity is false, General relativity states, and try and wrap your mind around this, because this is, this is really under, underappreciated. Under general relativity, it is not only equally valid to say the Earth is going around the sun and the sun is going around the Earth. Under general relativity, those two statements are equally valid, but it's even deeper than that. Under general relativity, there's no physical difference between the two statements. There is no physical difference in general relativity, whether you take the sun as fixed and the earth going around it, or you take the earth as fixed and the sun going around it. The physics works perfectly well, indeed identically well, under either premise. Now, let me ask you two guys something right here, right now. Did you understand what I just said? Not really, barely. Okay. Does it strike you as weird? Well, I, I kind of get the concept. I understand what you're saying. That it doesn't matter if the sun or the which one's going around the other. That that principle still applies. The physics are exactly the same. Now the problem here. What does that do to the orbits of the other outer planets? You can take any. You can take the tip of your nose, the sixteenth hair under your armpit, Jupiter. Fatal goose. Pick any damned spot you like. And it'll be within 93. Actually, I guess it would be within 180 million miles. It, anywhere in the universe. Anywhere in the universe. Pick a spot, any spot. All the physics work if you take that spot as fixed and the center of the universe. Is that that is can that, that just be explained general. by the fact that I mean the Earth and the Sun are only ninety three million miles apart, which is really nothing nope. on a cosmic scale. Nope, nope, it cannot. The, the The principle in general relativity is known as covariance. General covariance. What it means is that any freaking point in the universe can be treated as being at rest and the center of the of the universe. And the physics will work for any point. As a matter of fact, if there were to be found any point where that wasn't the case, the entire general theory of relativity collapses at that very moment. Now we're getting into the deep water, gentlemen, because essentially our universe, we are told, has no center because every point is a center. We are told that there is no special location in the entire universe, no up, no down, no left, no right. No particular direction is special. No particular location is special. And if any of those things turn out to be false, so does general relativity. Therefore, so does all of modern physics. Now, I hope that this long run-up might have served to provide 
at least a bit of an understanding as to why this film was carpet bombed out of the gates, probably as over the top hysterically as any science film ever made, uh, probably as any film period since The Passion of the Christ. It was completely targeted for extinction. Yeah. Because every single word I have said to you is true. And every single thing that I have said to you, the, the guys in the, in the film say it in their own way. There's a tremendous cognitive dissonance that lies at the heart of this question. We all believe it's completely certain that the Earth goes around the sun and that science proved it long ago. In fact, it never did prove it. None of us are aware of the fact, essentially, that general relativity insists that geocentrism is perfectly valid, as valid as any other system. So what about uh, the work of Kepler noticing planets orbiting other stars? Is that, or is it, is that uh, like, or, or does your, does this leave room for other solar systems? And if so, how do they operate? Well, certainly. I mean, there's no question about it. The Copernican principle states that we are nothing special. If that is true, we're obviously going around the sun. If there's nothing special about us, if we're just another one of those I think the latest number is 8 billion planets that they statistically project based on the Kepler observations. If we're just another one of those 8 billion planets, guys, the game's over. We're going around the sun. Period. But that's a big if, because you see, that's an assumption. And it, it doesn't mean the game is over in a lot of people's opinion either. Well, it is over in terms of geocentrism. It's oh, yeah. Over. Yeah, absolutely. Game over. If you can Then we're back to heliocentric. That, well, no, we are not back to heliocentric. At that point, we would have a pretty strong case for general relativity, which means that there are no absolute frames. That you can, for con the worst that you can say under general relativity is it's easier to calculate it that way. That's all. You can't say anything more than that. You can make no statement at all about an absolute frame. None. You can say it's easier to calculate this way, it's more convenient. It's simpler, easier. That's not a statement about ontological reality. That's a statement about mathematical ease of calculation. That's the furthest general relativity can go. It can't go a step further. Is but that it can get you to Mars. Sorry? The fact that it can get you to Mars a couple of times in a row. Means nothing. Means absolutely nothing. It just means that the cat, by the way, when you say you can get me to Mars, I hope you understand that the navigational software that got you to Mars does the entire navigational calculation in an Earth-centered frame, a geocentric frame. Were you aware of that? No, but it's, using, entire... it's using the forces of, of gravity and everything else and the motion of the, and, and the Earth is moving in it and Mars is moving as well. Well, but you see, the point is, like the Earth's Those movement is factored into the software, into the algorithm. As it purely ease of calculation. It could just as correctly, and in fact, in many cases, is done under the assumption that the Earth is standing still in space. There are many frames that are calculated for navigational software in the GPS and in a deep space probes. One of them is the Earth-centered, Earth-fixed frame. That's the geocentric frame. It's done all the time. Yeah, so that's kind of like the equivalent of hitting tear on your scale, though, no? 
the the equivalent of what? Hitting, you know, how you get a scale and you have the tear button. So when you put a cup on it and fill the cup up with stuff, the cup's weight isn't taken into account. You put the you'll put the cup on your scale and you'll hit and the TARE button and it calibrates it to the cup. So it assumes no, the cup's no, weight. No, not, 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 not analogous. Not analogous. It, it's very difficult to get this point across, but I'll try one more time. If 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 all of modern physics is true, I believe it is not. But for the sake of argument, since there's a lot more people who disagree with me than agree with me, <laughs> and they got a lot more letters after their name. <laughs> what I will say is that if general relativity is a correct physical description of reality, there is no difference at all between ascribing motion to the Earth or ascribing it to the Sun. No physical difference at all. So everything still works. Satellites, moon, everything. trip, everything else can still have happened. It's just... It's all It's all just a matter of... And there's no really grand scheme. It's just we don't know any better. Well, no... It's either that well, or geocentrism, my friend. You got two choices. No, but I think what Darren's saying is... Does there need to be a grand scheme well, or a grand conspiracy well, for it to still be geocentric? No, but that's or where... Or is it just typical we thought we knew oh, it no, and no, we were wrong I, again? I think that's where... I, I, I do... I do not see evidence of a conspiracy here. Why would there be? But isn't that where dark energy fits in? Like to, to take up that spot that ether used to have? Well, it's antimatter. <laughs> it's going to end up being antimatter. Gold, gold star there for the guy who said doesn't dark matter. Dark energy. Yeah, dark energy and dark matter. Of course they do. That's precisely what they do. What you have is a magical substance <laughs> that makes your otherwise impossible to fit equations fit. You can call it ether up until 1905. Right, right. You're not allowed to call it that after 1905. Right. <laughs> now you're allowed to call it dark matter and dark energy. Uh, and uh, that's not working out so well for them either, as you can see it at, at a certain point in the film. But you're right. When we talk about ether, when we talk about dark matter, when we talk about dark energy, what we are really talking about is the stunningly huge gap between our theories and observation. And you pour these factors into the equation and sprinkle them in wherever necessary in order to bridge the otherwise insuperable gap between theory and observation. And it's funny that you mentioned dark energy and dark matter. Now, in close, if the universe just consisted in the sun and the planets, guess what, guys? Heliocentrism is true. 100% certain. I believe it is non-controversial to point out that the universe does not consist in the sun and the planets and the solar system. And this is, again, where general relativity comes in. Mach's principle. Mass there governs inertia there. In 1853, Mach had demonstrated that it was absolutely as valid to account for the forces that arise at the surface of the Earth, which we attribute to the rotation of the Earth on its axis, what they call the Coriolis force and the centrifugal forces, it is absolutely as valid to attribute those same forces to the universe rotating around the Earth. And Einstein took that and made it a basis of general relativity. So there's this cognitive dissonance that lies at the heart of our culture. We are all taught from birth that any simpleton can see that the Earth must be going around the sun. If you don't believe that, you're obviously stupid. Well, guess what? That's a load of hooey. That's just a con. 
That's just a pawn. That's what it is. The cognitive dissonance is this. We are all taught that it is certain. Newton proved it, by the way, that the Earth is going around the sun. What they don't tell you is that Newton was tossed at the beginning of the 20th century because no experiment could measure that motion. And now, if you get a guy with a PhD in physics and ask him, and he loosens his tie, he'll admit to you that the laws of physics work perfectly identically under either condition. But you're not taught that, are you? That's why there's so much controversy about this film because it's 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 really uncovering some of the some of the dirty little secrets that have been sort of swept under the rug as physics has tried to deal with this greatest scientific detective story in history. Where are we in the cosmos really? Are we really an insignificant are we just one of those eight billion planets? Well guess what? If that's the case, we're going around the sun. Which so or are we or are we instead something stupendously and shockingly different than that. Are we something like, in fact, what the ancient biblical cosmology said, the center of the universe? If we are, somebody wasted an awful lot of time. <laughs> well, you know, that would, um, with all due respect, of course, I, I consider that to be a rather sophomoric comment for this reason. <laughs> um, when the first settlers arrived in Australia, for example, and they saw before them an entire freaking continent and said to themselves, we could never, ever have to worry about land grants or anything else. I mean, we could never fill this place up. Well, we will fill it up. And we have filled it up. As a matter of fact, let's look at that even a little more deeply. 113 years ago, we flew under power for the very first time. About two years ago, we left the solar system for the very first time. Now, well, so they say. There's extremely good evidence for it. I mean, if you're going to deny, if you're going to deny that, then you're going to deny. No, no, I'm I'm thinking the other way. Like the the people have been off planet before we thought about it. Oh, okay. Or before we think, not not the other way, where there isn't that evidence, but that it's been happening for longer. Okay. Well, I am not aware of any of any uh, reproducible evidence there, but maybe there is. I don't. I'm just not aware of it. Okay. What I am aware of, what I can prove, is that. We left the solar system about two years ago, and we flew under power for the first time 113 years ago. So in 111 years, we went from flying for the first time to leaving the solar system for the first time. Now, I ask you, John. And leaving the solar system took 50 years. No, it actually it took... Uh, no, like 13, 11, 70. or 13 or something? No, I left in the 70s. Oh, did I? Voyager about, 1, right? About 20, 20, yeah, it took about 30-some-odd 30, 30, 30 years. 33? Yeah, 33 years. I think that's correct. Uh, but the point is, let's project that forward. Well, let's say there's 8 billion planets, and billions of those planets are, of course, going to be billions of years older than the Earth under Big Bang assumptions. Where are we going to be in 100 million years? In a billion? Where are we going to be? Well, the answer is going to be all over the freaking galaxy and probably beyond it. Which leads to the next question, which Max Tegmark raises so brilliantly in the film. Fermi's paradox. Given billions and billions of perfectly good for life planets and billions and billions of years for those planets where they're older than us, where evolution would have had more time than it's had so far on Earth. Where is everybody? I'm going to challenge you on that one. They're living in a fucking iPhone on a 
desk someplace. No, because like there's a you know you you can't deny there's a lot of evidence and sightings of you know craft that seem to be uh, you know out of this world and and beings and everything. So let me you know, let me let me just let me just stipulate to one part of what you just said. There are some who claim to have that evidence. I actually would be very interested in making a film someday where that evidence is subjected to the same degree of rigorous examination as I just subjected the Copernican principle to. Yeah, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not applicable to that level of scrutiny. You can't repeat it. It's not repeatable. It, but it, but, then, the, I but submit the, to you, then I submit to you that we can lay it to the side. Because at the end of the day, if we're talking <laughs> science, if we're going to talk science here, not philosophy, not metaphysics, not theology. If we're going to talk science, you have to be able to show it to me. When okay. I challenge you. Okay, so I take you out in a, I take you out one night and we meditate Don't under do the it. stars. Don't and, do it. And we actually have some sort of interaction. Um you know, there is there is ways to test that. I mean, it is, it is happening to people, right? They are making contact. So whether that's, I don't know, I'm not saying it's ET or whatever, it's some sort of other intelligence. I, I, I certainly cannot disprove what you have said and wouldn't even intend to try. And I don't mean to disparage it. <laughs> Let me be very clear. It is not scientific evidence. Yeah, I know. And I'm just that, saying, that, that, I'm just saying at some point there's I an overwhelming believe, amount of... Anecdotal evidence that should be taken. I don't believe that science is the only way of knowing, by the way. Obviously, I'm a Catholic. And obviously, other people have other ways of achieving knowledge, experiential knowledge. Last thing in the world I intend to do here today is sit here and try and pass any judgment on that. All I'm saying is if the examination is to be conducted according to physical science, you got to be able to give me more than that. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean it's not true, by the way. Yeah. No, same I know. What, I know what you mean. Same thing with angels, man. I believe in angels. Can I prove it? Hell no. Yeah. So if I'm going to have a scientific discussion with somebody, I'm not going to bring up angels. That right. doesn't mean I don't believe in them, and it certainly doesn't mean that I can falsify what you have said. All I'm saying is that if we are going to have our discussion on the grounds of science, and let's face it, gentlemen. What the Catholic priesthood used to be in the West, the scientists are today, the untouchable caste. Yeah. We get get our miracles out of the laboratories now. Our priesthood wears white lab coats now. So if we're going to actually impinge upon this culture at this time, I submit to you that we have to more or less at least be willing to step onto the ground of physical science that's certainly what i tried to do in the principle well and that's kind of the next the next topic of this conversation really is like so so you you could probably talk now about what you found through the mapping of the cosmic background radiation right sure stunning absolutely stunning. i I tell you this has the potential to change the world every bit as radically as copernicus changed the world 500 years ago so here's the story Physics has had a pretty darn good run over the last 400 years. I mean, here we are chatting on Skype, flying around the galaxy, flying around the solar system and outside the solar system now. That's pretty darn impressive. So science gets very confident in its methods. 
with excellent reason, by the way, and begins to extrapolate what it has found here to the rest of the universe. And that's the subject. That's the science of cosmology. And the interesting thing about cosmology, it is, it is the one area of science that bumps up most strongly against metaphysics and theology. You can't go out to the end of the universe and take a picture and see what's at the center. Mm. You can't fly out to the edge of the universe and tell us how big it is. Nobody can do that. What we can do is take what we consider to be well-established assumptions that seem to work pretty darned well here at solar system scales, and we begin extrapolating that out to the universe. And when you do that, you find that at the very foundation of every one of those assumptions is one simple idea, the Copernican principle. We're not the center. If it were to turn out that we were the center, everything that we have learned about our universe just collapsed into a smoking pile of rubble. Well, at that point, we can't even be sure that stars are other suns. Well, I, I believe that we can. I believe that it's well established by direct observation of the uh, atomic spectra of these objects. Uh, we are seeing the same chemical signatures that we would expect to see in a uh, in a in a star. Yeah, and we're seeing yeah. the, same, the same heat signatures, the same uh, behaviors. These are direct observations. These are not fairy tales. We look at these things all the time. We can see the various chemical signatures, the various spectra, and we know that those things are there. We, 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 we're not you know, guessing about that. We can measure them with an absolutely astonishing degree of precision. They're stars. You better believe they're stars. Yeah, yeah, but do we know if, I mean, if we can't even tell if we're going around the sun or not, at what point can we be sure that, you know, the, the, the speck of dot speck of light in the sky um you know however many billion miles away is a sun with planets rotating around it if, especially if we're not rotating around ours uh, or is that because, sun just rotating around us uh, and there's if it only is, one the place point? in the universe one, one of the things that makes this a little simpler there's only one place in the universe where it is possible for the earth not to be going around the sun only one this can never happen anywhere else in the universe. It can only happen once, and here's why. In any closed rotating system, the bodies of that system will define one and exactly one center of mass. That will be the point at which the combined gravitational forces of all the bodies in that system equal zero. Every rotating system, every closed system defines a center of mass. You can do this yourself in your, in your, in your uh, living room. You can take an object, you can, you can throw a tennis racket up into the air and notice that it's rotating about one particular spot on that tennis racket. That's the center of its mass. In any closed rotating system, one and precisely one center of mass will be defined. The only way geocentrism can be true is if the Earth is not only the exact opposite of insignificant, if the Earth is exactly what the scriptures and the church told us for 
over 1,500 years with the center. And then everything is ro ro rotating around us. What I find interesting is that nobody knew about gravity back then. Nobody knew about centers of mass back then. Uh, this is something that was put down in writing in, in the scriptures by people who had not the slightest clue that 2,000 years later we would discover a physical law, the center of mass, that would make it possible physically for that to be the case. Now, the difference between looking at a star and looking at what's going around what. When we look at a star, we aren't able to tell what's going around what. What we're able to tell is what chemical signatures, what things do we see in our telescopes that give us the exact same chemical and, and atomic spectra as we see here on Earth for elements that we know, that we have rigorously tested. We do see that. So the puzzling thing about reality is not that we can't detect when something is burning or giving off energy. We can look at that energy and we can tell what it's composed of. We were very good at that. So we know that. What we can tell is what is the absolute frame that tells us what's going around what. Physics can't answer that question if general relativity is true. All physics can say is it's easier to calculate if we just assume Newton's laws and ascribe masses. Nobody's ever weighed the sun. We don't know what the sun weighs. We don't know what these other stars weigh. We can make inferences. But at the end of the day, we know for a fact that those stars are, are, are undergoing reactions that are consistent with what we observe on our own sun. Some more so, some less so. So we know that there are stars out there. We assume that they are very, very, very distant on some very good grounds also for that. But at the end of the day, what we cannot determine by direct physical observation here on Earth is whether or not Earth is just another one of those 8 billion planets or whether Earth is not a planet at all because planet comes from the Greek word for wanderer, wandering star. If we're not a wanderer, we're not a planet. The question becomes, again, and science still cannot determine this, if relativity is true, we're either something very, 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 very special, incredibly special, almost too special for us to even consider possible, or in fact, we're just another one of those 8 billion planets and we don't know where everybody is. It just doesn't really make sense. But uh, um, those are your two choices. What's interesting is, is that the first of them has been ruled out. You cannot talk about the dreaded G word. If you mention the dreaded G word, we are going to come after you and bury you under various layers of a program. Well, I'm sorry. I don't buy that. It's just hard to wrap your head around because there's so many, well, the other so thing many is planets like, out there. Why are we so special? Like, I know we're intelligent life. I know the Earth is beautiful. As and soon I know, as there's like, another are we sun, really I that think. unique? Like, there's, there's no point in having more suns if we're special. I mean, I think well, life yeah, is hold unique. Hold on, let me jump in right here because this, that's the second time that you've advanced that. And I'm sorry, I, I just don't buy that at all. Why would you be so sure 
that I'm not sure. I just said it's hard for people to wrap their heads around. Like it, it's, well, you know, I, I agree with that. But the reason that it's so hard for people to wrap their heads around it is because we have been thoroughly indoctrinated, indoctrinated yeah. from birth in what amounts to a logical contradiction. We are taught a the Earth goes around the sun. That was proved by Newton. Everybody knows it. Anybody who challenges that is a dummy. That's the first thing. Then you get your PhD in physics and you find out that's not true at all. But that's kept sort of off behind the curtain. What the principle does, and and I will stand absolutely against anyone in the world who challenges this. What the principle does is it points out that there's a tremendous cognitive dissonance lying at the heart of our view of reality. We can't have it both ways. We can't pull out Newton to prove that the Earth is going around the sun and then toss him away so that we can have general relativity. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to be a consistent defender of general relativity, you're not going to jump down the throat of somebody who says, hey, you know, physics can't prove that the Earth is not the center of the universe. But they want it both ways. And uh, so that's the first thing that the principle does is it points out a tremendous cognitive dissonance that lies at the heart of the present uh, cosmology. Now, let's get back to that cosmic microwave background, because this is where it gets really interesting. So for, you know, we have relativity, you know, great. We've explained Michelson morally. That's why it doesn't look like we're moving, because the rod's shrinking and clocks are running at different rates. Fantastic. What does that mean for reality? Well, what it means is that as we look further and further out into the cosmos, we would expect that we would see no special directions, no special locations. Every direction would look just about the same as every other direction. And so we did, except for one thing. When Edwin Hubble went up on top of Mount Wilson, just outside of Los Angeles, and started training the 100-foot, 100-inch uh, Hooker telescope out at, the, out at the stars, he began to notice something that was really freaky. What we thought was the universe turned out to be just one galaxy. There were tons and tons of other galaxies. But there was something very weird, something that almost drove poor Hubble to a nervous breakdown, in fact. Every single one of those galaxies seemed to be moving away from us. Now, guys, if I put you in the middle of a clearing in the forest, and everywhere you look, you see deer running away from you, where does that put you in relation to the deer? In the center? Yep. Okay, so Hubble sees this and he's going, what the... This is crazy. This, this is completely contrary to everything that we would have expected. So this is the next challenge. And again, it's Einstein to the rescue, man. Al Einstein was a smart guy. He was one smart cookie. Because this is a devastating problem for him. How can everything in the universe be moving away from us if we're not the center? And of course... Uh, Einstein came up with uh, uh, the idea of an expanding universe, and it was Friedman, a little bit later on, who came up with the ultimate, for the time, extension of the Copernican principle. He said, look, think of it this way. 
space is expanding at every point. Think of it like a balloon. If I put a, if I draw Mickey Mouse with dots on a balloon, right, and we start blowing up the balloon, as the balloon surface gets bigger and bigger, those dots all start moving away from each other. And guess what? Pretty soon you can't see Mickey Mouse anymore. All evidences of special directions, locations have to be erased as that surface expands. So Einstein said, that's what's going on here. And Friedman said, what this means is that no matter where you are in that universe, no matter what dot you're on on that balloon, as it starts to blow up, it's going to look like everything is moving away from you. And you're going to think you're the center, but you're not. Hmm. Okay? That's how smart Einstein was. That's brilliant. That's freaking brilliant, right? So, whew, got over that one too. You know, re relativity's still flying. And cosmology begins finally. And this is only just in the last 20, 30 years or so. We finally get to the point where we can put spacecraft out far enough away from the Earth with technology that is sensitive enough, that we have now begun the serious task of actually mapping the entire freaking universe. We have, in fact, seen out now, for the first generation in history that has, we've seen as far as you can see. Nobody's going to see any further than we've seen. We might see with more clarity. We might see things that we're missing right now, but we're not going to see any further because the light won't have had time to reach us. Once you hit the CMB, once you look at that CMB picture that, that's in the principle, you're looking at the first light, the first light that our telescopes can receive, according to the Big Bang Theory, and we'll never see anything beyond that. So we're the first generation that's seen it all. And the funny thing is, these galaxy surveys are returning evidence that that fundamental principle, the Copernican principle, is wrong. And you see two of the most powerful of those in the principle. First of all, the galaxies out to about a billion light years are distributed in a series of seven shells, preferred shells with us at the center. That's shocking. But that's nothing compared to the CMB. Because when we get to the CMB, we are allegedly seeing the baby picture of the universe. We are seeing the small little disturbances in the Big Bang that ultimately seeded, that provided the basis for all of the galaxies, all of the quasars, everything that we see in our telescopes. And those ought to be completely random. There should be no up, no down, no left, no right, but there is. And that is a potentially civilization-changing problem. There's a special direction in the universe. It's there. Now, reasonable people can disagree about what it means. You don't have to become a geocentrist. But there's a special direction. There's not supposed to be an up. There's not supposed to be a down. There's not supposed to be a left. There's not supposed to be a right. But there is, and they call it, understandably enough from their point of view, the axis of evil. Evil. Why? Evil because it's not supposed to be there. And... The best scientific theories that we have counter-predict its existence. In other words, 
This is a big red flag. But wait, there's more. This is not just any special direction. This special direction happens to be directly related to us, to our supposedly insignificant location in this vast cosmos. And this is so stunning that, like I say, it's got the potential to change our civilization in the coming century or two as much as uh, Copernicus did. Because what we're finding, this CMB, what they call the surface of last scattering, that's what you see in all the CMB pictures with the blue and the red. They call it the surface of last scattering. It's allegedly the first light to ever appear, visible uh, light to appear in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's pointing out a special direction. It's pointing directly back at us. And that's just absolutely absurd. That's like finding a rabbit in the Precambrian. That is so stunning that there's really, you, you ultimately have three ways to go. Number one, which they did for the first 10 years, you say that's impossible. And you start looking at every possible way you can to knock that observation down. Believe me, there were some very persuasive efforts to knock it down. I know because I was making my film at the time. And if they would have knocked the axis of evil down, I would have had no movie. And 95% of the cosmology community was absolutely sure that when they sent up the Planck satellite in 2009, because they couldn't believe their eyes, the, the earlier WMAP and COBE missions had mapped the cosmic microwave background. They had both found it. And the scientists said it just cannot be there. It has to be some error in the scanning beam or some kind of dust cloud. This cannot be. Unless real. the universe so they, was, in, what if the universe was infinite? Well, you see, George Ellis puts this beautifully in the principle. When the word infinite appears, physics has come to an end. <laughs> there is no infinite in physics. The word infinite is proper to two knowledge domains, mathematics and theology. Those are the only two human knowledge domains that have rigorous definitions of infinity. Physics does not. Physics gets infinities when it divides by zero. Physics gets infinities when it runs up against an impossible situation. And in, when you use the word infinite in physics, You've departed physics. Now you're doing metaphysics. Now you're doing theology. George Ellis makes that point brilliantly. <laughs> or at least our uh, current understanding of physics. Well, no, physics by definition. You see, physics deals... Needs physical size. It needs extension physical and it parameters. needs measure and it needs duration. Duration, measurement, and change. Those are the things you have to have to do physics. An infinite universe would explain that spectrum, though. No, an infinite universe is impossible by definition. Because <laughs> if it was infinite, it couldn't possibly be moving. If it was infinite, it would have infinitely lost all of its infinite energy under the law of entropy an infinite amount of time ago. Yeah, but I think it's more, li I think it's more likely that our 
infancy and science and everything else is just that we aren't there yet. You know, like we'll check back in 300 years and see what we have to say on the subject. Well, that's a, that's an argument from silence. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just not logically defensible. We know what we know. We cannot point to what we don't know as an explanation. We can't wave our hands. What we know changes every 10 years. Well, that, but that, there's nothing surprising about that. (laughs) Physics. Physics is based upon the successive overthrow of what we think we know. That's the beauty of physics. Uh, physics is ceaselessly trying to overthrow what we think we know. That's, that's the beauty of science. That's what I love about science. If it's truly science, it's never, ever done testing what it thinks it knows. And every single advance in science comes when one single mind observes something happening, really happening, that can't possibly be happening under our existing laws of physics. That's every scientific advance in history. So there's nothing surprising about science overturning itself every 100 to 200 years on the fundamental level. And we're, by the way, we're due. <laughs> yeah. general, general relativity is about 105 years, five or six years old this year. So we're definitely due. Well, quantum physics is getting old as well. So. Well, and the thing is, here's the thing. Michio Kaku makes the absolutely stunning point, one of the best scenes in the film. He says, you, know, you have these two great theories, the relativity theory for the large and the quantum theory for the small, and they're fantastic and they're great. You try to put those two things together. Oh, that was a great scene, yeah. Oh, uh, wasn't that a great scene? Yeah. Off by 120 orders of magnitude, the greatest contradiction between theory and observation in the history of science. And I honor him. For having the balls yeah. to look into my camera and say that. I yeah. love science. I really do. Because these guys, except when the press gets up on them, you know, you talk to them, I, I, you know, none of them are geocentric. No, they so. very, they seem very candid. Like, honestly, it felt like they were really opening up to you, really. I mean, they were talking about, like, you know, to, to hear Michu say something like that is, is pretty... It's an awesome moment. There's there's another one where George Ellis admits that if there's no multiverse, that's tantamount to saying that there's a creator. There are a number of moments like that in the film, and I'm very proud of them. Because I got them for one reason, because I was able to convince these guys that I had done my freaking homework. Yeah. Max Tegmark told me after his first interview, it was the best interview he'd ever had. And he asked me, how in the heck did you find the time to research all this? And I said, because I'm dead serious. I want to make the greatest scientific documentary in history. That's (laughs) what I intend to do. And uh, of course, when the uh, when the dreaded G word yeah. was uttered, uh, they had to bury me quickly, and they didn't quite succeed, which was interesting because now my film is going. Our film, poor KT didn't make it. I wonder what's wrong. That's not like her at all. Uh, but our film is uh, going to break the cone of silence. All of the claims made about the scientists were tricked, and we misedited. That's all. BS, and everybody who's seen the film knows it. It's all BS. It's completely ridiculous. Michio Kaku says what Michio Kaku believes. Lawrence Krauss says what Lawrence Krauss believes. That's what makes the film good. Why would I want a film where I cut people up so they all say the same thing? What a boring movie. Yeah, let's let's get into the controversy after. I want to hear the other two uh, aspects of, you know, after the, after the result of the map of the cosmic micro- microwave background... Okay, there was yeah. there was three there was three ways to go right. The first one okay, was, yeah. hey, we're the center of the universe, right? Right. Second one is has to be a mistake. 
can't be right. Well, that's gone now, too, because they sent up the Planck mission in 2009. Planck was designed to make the axis of evil go away. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the they, one where you, you show that guy from MIT uh, talking about the result yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. They said every possible thing that could have created that axis of evil on the WMF satellite were redesigning in a completely different way. Different detectors, different orbit, different uh, statistical analysis for the data. <clears throat> it was designed to remove any possible systematic basis for an erroneous reading of that axis. And let me tell you something. Right when we were about to release this film, they announced that they were going to publish the results of Planck, and I held the film. <laughs> and that was the scariest moment of my oh, life, because yeah. either I've got the hottest thing in the world, or I've got nothing. <laughs> and I called up Max, and I said, Max, I hear that they're announcing Planck on the, uh, I believe it was the 20th of March in 2013, if I remember correctly. And I said, I want to get on a plane the day after or as soon as you can see me. The day after the announcement. And we're either going to do a post-mortem on my movie and you know, go have a beer together and commiserate. Or you're going to be the man who discovered the axis of evil. And I want to get you on camera. And very graciously, he said, sure, come on in. Wow. So on the morning of the announcement, uh, I'm in California, so I, only, I didn't have to get up till 8. Max had to get up at five, but we both did the same thing. He describes it in the movie. I woke up and I was shaving and, and you know, George Stavatu comes on in Paris and they start showing the pictures and I'm holding up the old pictures from WMAP. Oh yeah, yeah, they all line up. It's all there. It's really there. And it's such a great moment in the film because Max is so enthusiastic about these things. Yeah. He's fantastic. So at that moment, I knew I had a very dangerous I mean, nobody else is talking about this. Nobody else is making a film about this. I bet the farm that the axis was going to be real. And when it turned out to be real, I knew I had a, I had a barn burner of a science talk. So the third possibility, and it's the only one left, other than we're the center of the universe, by the way. Ah, what a coincidence. Now, you've always got that one. Sorry, no what one was that? Take, well, you, what a coincidence. Oh. I synchronicity. Mean, <laughs> yeah, what a synchronicity. And, you know, you know that might fly uh, in, you know. In America. <laughs> it's not going to fly with Joe Sixpack, I'll tell you that. Because Joe Sixpack is smart enough to know, has enough common sense to know. Just like he was smart enough to know back with Copernicus. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we don't have to we don't have to burn the Catholics at the stake. But let's face it, they were wrong. And is, they'll never be in a position to run the world again. Is there another you, one? Sorry to interrupt. That's it. Those, it those, what, those are your three. What about the, three. What, what about, about hearing about the universe being flat now? Like that it's actually yeah, well, that, more flat. Would that, that, that would that be part of the reason why as well? Is that another sort of No, but that's another big problem. Uh, because, you know, Einstein talks a lot about space-time curvature. And that was used as an explanation for the Hubble problem, where Hubble solved these galaxies. Einstein said space-time is curved, and therefore it just looks like all these things are, are moving away from us. But the space-time curvature, that curved surface of the balloon that we were talking about, well, that ain't there either. 
as flat as a pancake, all the way out. Now, we can't measure it quite precisely enough to completely rule out that the balloon is just so much freaking bigger than we can ever hope to see. But there's a problem there, gentlemen. Let's face it, you know. Science comes into being with the natural philosophers sitting back and saying, you know, we're tired of listening to the theologians argue about how many freaking angels could dance on the head of a pin. We're not going down that road. We're going to limit ourselves to what we can see, measure, test. Isn't it ironic now that the scientists are reduced to arguing about how big the universe is beyond what we could ever possibly hope to measure, test, or observe in any way at all. This is just rich irony here. We keep bumping, uh, we keep struggling up to the top of the mountain and like Sisyphus, we end up arguing about how many multiverses can dance on the head of a pin because no physical theory can explain what we see based on what we see. We have to go outside of what we can see. And again, that's when you start bumping up against metaphysics and theology, and that's where cosmology is today. We either have this special direction in the universe as a result of a flaw in our measuring instruments. That's gone. You can't, you can't say that anymore. Once Planck reported, as Max says in the film, we cannot blame this on the WMAP team. It's there. What it means, we can differ on. But it's there. Number two, it means that we are, that the entire universe on its incomprehensibly largest scales is arranged around us. Number three, it's just a coincidence. That's where we are, and that's why I'm telling you, the coincidence thing is not going to fly. No, but I, I still have trouble grasping why it can't just be the mere size of the universe that just, you know, we can't, it's it's out there, we just can't see that far. And it's just, because that's because, our sphere of being able to see, and that's why it looks like it's all around us. That's because what I was if getting we could at see farther, it would just be, no. a, when we can no, see twice I'm, I'm, as far, I'm, I'm, if we could somehow, it would just be no, twice as big no, of a circle. No, I'm afraid that's not admissible, and I'll tell you why. It's the not admissible today, though. It's not admissible, period. Until something changes in our current no, understanding of physics. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's not correct. If the CMB is what they say it is, and they have a very, very strong case that it is, after all, it is the only form of radiation that we have ever observed that comes to us from all directions of the sky with no discrete source. It's clearly cosmological. It clearly is not coming to us from any star or quasar, but it's coming to us from something beyond all the stars and beyond all the quasars. It is quite plausibly described as the earliest light in the universe. We will never see. It's not a question of getting better detectors. We detect photons. That's what we, that's what we see. We have to see photons. We will never see photons beyond the surface of last scattering. What we see is the limit of what science can tell us. Now, if you happen to be correct, 
that this is just our sphere of a much larger universe. That's not a scientific argument. That's a metaphysical argument. Science can, has nothing whatever to say about whatever might lie beyond the limits of our ability to test, observe, see. So as a scientific matter, this issue is settled. Yeah, but then that's the same way as saying that a thousand years ago that because you couldn't see it with your naked eye, it was settled, in my opinion. No, that's not true. That's not true. Because nobody assumed back then anything other than what they could see. Nobody said that science, that telescopes, were going to be able to tell us anything about what we could not see. If we could see further, that would be great. And we worked so that we could see further. And we worked so that we could see further. And we did see further. And we did see further. And we did see further. But this is different. This is not a question of seeing further. This is a question of, this is the, the limit of the ability of the human sensing apparatus to perceive light. There's no light beyond it. There is none. It'll never reach us. We can't see beyond it. So this is the ballgame. So that's like a limit of time, though. The limit of light. People a billion years from now, would they be able to see? Would it be different for them because they had more time? No, No, because that's the first light. See, when we look out at the universe, we're looking back in time. That's that's the that's the key here. We're looking we're looking down the past light cone. The further out we go, the further back we look. What we are seeing with the surface of last scattering, we're seeing a time when there were no galaxies, when there were no quasars, there were no objects. There were no objects in the universe, according to the Big Bang theory at this time. <clears throat> so consequently, we we are looking at the first time that we can see anything. There was no light, no visible spectra. Uh, The ionization had not occurred. So there was nothing to see until that surface of last scattering. And so we are looking at a, not a limit of our technology, but a limit of the physics itself. It'd be more of a limit of the model. I mean, this isn't, this is totally mainstream, Darren. Like they're, they're, they're measuring the, the microwave background, right? But I, I, I can't. I don't. I, I can't don't wrap my head. I can't wrap my head around how they can do that. It's, but. it's, it's all fine, guys. Don't worry about it. You, know, <laughs> you, you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> if you bother to look into it, you will find that they have that one nailed down very, very well. And anything beyond the surface of last scattering is not an object of science. Science can never tell us the first thing about any of it yeah and it becomes a matter again of theology and of metaphysics and that's why those two domains of knowledge are coming back with a vengeance now because it is completely apparent that the scientific observation of the universe is not able to explain and account for what we see in the universe there's something outside of it that must account for what we observe that's a very Congenial development for Catholic theology, I would say, wouldn't you? <laughs> so this ruffled a lot of feathers. Like you had a lot of top scientists in here, and and you're, 
you know, you're creating, you know, there's quite a controversy. So how, how did, how did that, were you expecting the, uh, the blowback? And I mean, you guys documented it in another sort of documentary, the, some of the controversy and the, and sort yeah. of the attacks to you. So how, how did that go? Well, here's the best I can, best way I can understand this because none of them have gotten back to me. I've reached out to like Max. Max was a friend of mine. We talked for two years between his interviews, Yeah, dozens of emails and, we became friends, and Max would not answer me when uh, I sent him an email, and I said, Max, you know, you, you just told Popular Science Magazine that I tricked you, and you and I know that that's bunk. Yeah. And, you know, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't acknowledge it. So what I think happened is this. Once the trailer got put up, we started to roll. I mean, we started to get a lot of attention. But we were still, you know, just tiny little science stuff. But we had yeah. a, lot of, a lot of controversy. It was actually a guy, an enemy of my partners in the Catholic uh, world, who started tweeting Michio and Lawrence and saying, hey, did you guys know you just got duped by a couple of crazed geocentrics? <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, he's an evil genius, by the way. And uh, uh, that launched it. because Now you have guys whose reputations are at stake. I mean, Max was up for tenure at MIT. Michio Kaku was just about to sign a contract with the Discovery Channel. Poor Kate Mongrel was the star of Orange is the New Black. And all of a sudden, the biggest story on the World Wide Web is that these con artists had conned all of these guys and somehow gotten them to move their lips in ways that I still haven't been able to figure out how I got them <laughs> to do that. But the story took such incredible force. It, it is obviously a case where this story was planted by somebody with, you know, a great deal of influence because within 24 hours, 150 news outlets had run with it and it was always the same story. And nobody ever called me. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Nobody. We called NPR. NPR had Lawrence Krauss on and he said, oh, I was never in this film and blah, blah, blah. And we called him and we said, can we please, can we please address these claims never even got a return phone call wow so gentlemen what 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 we have here is a situation where once that trailer went up and once those tweets started going out everybody called everybody else and they put it all together oh my god these guys are geocentrists Gosh, I thought he was so smart. We have a problem here because this guy is going to take our own evidence and he is going to put it into a situation where we are seen at the same level, at the same table, discussing this on an equal footing with mavericks and dissidents. <laughs> and dear God, help us. He's even going to let the geocentrists in. We must crush this now. And the power of the mainstream media, right? Oh, yeah. And, and they set out to destroy us. And to be honest with you, having survived it, it wasn't pleasant at the time. Boy, I tell you. It's amazing. You know, I, I'll never forget it because it was during, a, it was during a Holy Week of 2014. And, you know, Catholics go to church every bloody day in Holy Week. And friends of mine, 
of years and years duration, I could see it in their eyes. They were like looking at me and looking away and whispering to each other. <laughs> and I could see that even my friends were seriously considering the fact that I was actually the world's most despicable con man. I will never forget that. First of all, it really made Holy Week special for me that week because, you know, it made me feel very close indeed to Christ. But even more importantly, it showed me the power of the mass media to essentially shape a story any way they want it yeah, to go. Yeah. And having lived through this, I can tell you there's a danger in what they did. They were so freaked out and they wanted to kill it so fast that they came up with this ridiculous Captain Janeway and the Seven Cosmologists fairy tale, which is that somehow I am such a Svengali that I was able to not only trick these poor dumb scientists, I mean, they're not nearly as smart as me, of course, but I was able to get them to move their lips in absolutely astonishing ways with the camera going. Now, anybody who took a minute to think this through, I mean, poor Kate, for heaven's sake, I mean, she... She read the script for a month before we hired her. <laughs> and she doesn't know what the movie is about. So this didn't work, okay? <laughs> but it worked enough to get, you know, the, the brand toxified. Oh, you crazy, you know. You know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the screaming, chanting mobs had what they needed. But you got to take me out if you're going to go that way. You got to bury me. And they didn't. They came real close, but they didn't. And now, it's, the shoe is on the other foot. The film has now been seen by hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And I firmly believe that number will be millions within the next year or two. Anybody who sees this film knows that that entire line of hooey was exactly that. Um, the scientists were asked to address the Copernican principle and related matters. They were very faithfully presented. Why wouldn't I? I want a good movie, not a terrible movie. I made this movie knowing that nobody ever made a movie about the Copernican Principle before, and that certainly nobody would again for at least 10 years. This is mine. I, I, I grabbed this, and I made it, and I knew it had to be good. Because if I tried <coughs> any slick stuff... It was ballsy. Uh, it's got to yeah, be well, the ballsiest documentary I've ever seen. Thank you. It is. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I paid. Believe me, I paid. Who well, it's fascinating too. It was really, it was really well done. It was fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, they got a lot of that is KT, and, it, and you uh, got us a lot of that is KT. You got us thinking in here for sure, Darren. Darren, I can. So see the that. end of at the end of the day, here we are. We've been carpet bombed. You know, we had the SPLC get us kicked out of the theater that we opened in. Even though we had the fourth largest per screen opening in the United States, which is shocking for a science doc, come on. They, they didn't renew us. They didn't, they didn't hold us over because something about the Jews. I, I've never been able to quite figure out how that works. But, you know, essentially they just told us, we can't keep you. You have to go somewhere else. You'd think the Jews would like uh, geocentric. You would, because, I mean, essentially it was the Hebrew scriptures that, that was the basis for it. It's a funny thing with the Jews. You know, you've got... Very few, there's a lot of Jews who are scientists, because let's face it, there's a lot of really smart They're Jews. They're smart, I married, yeah. I married one. Um, so I know how smart the Jews are. But a lot of the Jews who are in science are tribal Jews, but not religious Jews. I mean, in other words, they, 
they don't believe, you know, the Old Testament scriptures. And consequently, um, it's funny, Tycho Brahe, who was the great Danish uh, uh, cosmologist, who came up with the geocentric system that we, that we geocentrists today follow, he went to the Hebrews of his time and said, you guys had it right. Why are you surrendering your own teaching? Uh, so he was remonstrating the Jews for even back then, jumping on the uh, Copernican bandwagon. But at the end of the day, of course the film has nothing to do with the Jews. It's a film about cosmology, for heaven's sake. <laughs> It's a film about the Copernican principle. Why were we kicked out of a theater because of the Jews? I do not know, but logic was not high on the agenda of the attacks against this film. So we had no choice but to batten our hatches and just write it out. I knew I had made a good film. I knew we had made a good film. I knew that if we could just find a way to get it in front of people. I think... Uh... I think that shows the power of not only the media too, but how deep the the mainstream scientific establishment is as well. Like, you know, can't they just, can't we have a discussion about this and talk about different scientific pr principles and evidence, you know? Rick? And that... <laughs> And that wraps it up. Something happened to him. He got disconnected. Hopefully he's okay. Yeah. And that was a chat with... Uh... No, no, no. I'm calling him back. Okay. I'm so sorry, guys. I lost you, but KT's going to join us right now. Okay. Which is really good news, because now you can talk to somebody who's not going to be nearly as irascible and touchy as me. <laughs> She's much more uh, 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 congenial to... Uh, to uh, uh, I'm a little bit hard boiled on this, but I'm very proud of the film. We're I'm still very happy, happy that we're getting onto iTunes, getting onto Amazon. We launched on Christian Cinema today. There's interest all over the world in the film. Um, the film in ten years, I believe, will be seen as what it in fact is—a damned good science doc. So, KT, are you there? I'm sure she's going to be with us. In the second, Any second yeah. guy. Yeah. So why don't you guys take one more whack at me and then she can... Oh, uh, here she comes. Here. Let's see if that worked. Are you in here, KT? What have you done? Uh, here we go. Hello? Hi, are you in here? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, hey, KT. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm having so been having so much problems trying to get in. Oh, no worries. Sorry, I just saw your your yeah that I'd missed a call there from you. So yeah, Rick, we were just saying before you got uh, cut off there and uh, welcome KT. Who you were, you edited the movie, right? Um, director. She's the director. Oh, director, right? Um, sorry about that. <laughs> um, we were just talking about how it also shows the how staunch the mainstream scientific community is too that they can't even really they don't want to allow any debate or anything like this right very dogmatic yes oh oh very i mean it's uh it was funny did he tell you when we went to yell um how a scientist came up to i mean uh one of the professors there came up to us and asked us what we were doing 
and um, uh, said to when I said, "Oh, we're we're doing a uh, you know we're doing a documentary on the Copernican principle," and he says, "Oh, you, well, you don't have the right to do that. <laughs> doing that," and I was like, "What?" This was <laughs> well, at Yale. Yale has <laughs> so. Somebody's got yeah, it. this was this was at Yale. This was actually a fact. You should tell this story, KT, because <laughs> we got a lot of the interviews. George Ellis, Julian Barber, Bernard Carr. Um, we got all uh, we got all those guys at a conference at Yale, a Templeton Foundation conference. And believe me, it turned into a very touchy situation once word got around. But there were a bunch of people with cameras walking around asking very uncomfortable questions. And KT, just tell them what happened. Um, it was it, this guy. Eventually, he was one of the leaders of the "Don't Talk to These People" <laughs> um, uh, coalition. And um, so he was like, "Oh, you you shouldn't be doing this. You don't have the right to do that." And at the time, had I been more like not not so green around them, I would have said, well, why hasn't anybody else done it? You know? (laughs) And um, uh, we, uh, we had uh, at the time there was uh, another kind of big uh, scientist. uh, uh, Very, very big name. Very big name. Yeah. At the, uh, that was, uh, had agreed to uh, be on camera with us. And uh, he sat down at at this, uh, in this conference room where we were at and, uh, I'm not going to name because I don't. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that. But he sat down and and Rick and him started talking, and I was filming away, and then he kind of just stopped for a minute, and he said, "You know, I just don't feel comfortable with these questions or something, something to that matter. Or like, uh, you know, I, I'm just not. I've, I've been told that I shouldn't be uh, talking yeah. to you guys." Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he he walks in. He walks in and he says, uh, "My friend so and so says that I shouldn't be talking to you people." And I said, "Well, I'm certainly hoping you'll take that with a grain of salt." <laughs> and he says, "So, what is it that you wish to discuss with me?" And I said, "Well, I'd like to talk to you about the axis of evil." He says, "Oh, nobody takes that seriously." So let me pause here for a moment. This particular gentleman became world famous based on his work with dark matter. You know, that substance that we've been looking for for 70 years now and can't seem to find anywhere. So what he was telling me was that the axis of evil, which is an observationally established fact, nobody takes that seriously. But we're certainly going to take dark matter seriously, which we haven't been able to find in 70 years of the most exquisite searches. So anyway, when he said, nobody takes that seriously, I said, wonderful. Would you mind if we turned the cameras back on and you could just say that? And I will never forget the look that man gave. <laughs> he smiled this, this very British upper crust sort of little smirk. Stood up without a word and walked right out the door. Wow. And, you know, we were halfway expecting security to come in and, 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 and <laughs> toss and us. That's, that's, that's exactly what um, 
like uh, I expected like people to do after they read the um, or, or, or actually started talking when Rick started asking the hard questions. I really expected them to get up and walk away because you know, I don't know if you guys touched on the controversy of what, you know, a lot of the scientists that are in the movie are saying, oh, we've been duped and all this kind of stuff. You know, there's just only so much, like if they got up and did that and, and we still put them on, on camera, you know, that, that, that's one thing, you know, but none of them got up and did anything like that. And they knew exactly what the questions they were answering. And that's, that's what makes me like kind of laugh at, at some of the absurdities that the scientists that were on camera are saying because of, of, of the controversy around, around the film. Yeah. They got scared, man. I mean, look, when I, when I think about this, these guys are not PR sophisticates. You know, if they get calls from the media, did you know you've been tricked by a bunch of... I mean, it was Circle the Wagons time, and it's been Circle the Wagons ever since. And I got to say, I just got to say, I consider that a great honor. I consider it a great, great honor that the film was subjected to that kind of a response. They, they, they understand what's at stake here. And once they finally put it together that I intended to give the Mavericks and the dissidents and the geocentrists, God help us, a seat at the table in this discussion. They recognized that that was deadly. And so, you know, they, they, they circled the wagons and that's what they did. Uh, uh, the good news is the film is out. Everybody in the world can see it now. Everybody in the world should. Um, you don't have to agree with it, but you're not going to see this anywhere else. KT, did that, KT, did that, uh, con- did that controversy create any additional publicity for you guys i mean it did and what i find funny is like and this is kind of what i tell everybody because everybody's like how could you work with you know um um with with how could you you know they've always asked me like how could i do this and how could i do that and like um you know or or did you do you feel uncomfortable with the controversy or do you feel uncomfortable like with the subject matter and I said, have you seen the film? That's the first thing I, I, I say. Yeah, yeah. They go, oh, no, I haven't. Well, I said, first, go, go see the film and then come talk to me. And, <laughs> and the second is, is that, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that me and, and Rick and, and everybody have different worldviews, religious views, uh, you know, moral views, all kinds of different views. And, it, and that's the reason the film is so good, because... It actually like it's actually a discussion, which you don't see happening. If you if you look what's going on in the world right now, you see like every all right, this side is going to win. This side is going to win. Instead of having a discussion with everybody, it's all polarized. It's yeah. like, you know, it's very one sided. And that's and that's was one of my goals is like, hey, guys, you know, I don't care if I don't believe in the same thing you do, but let's have a discussion about it. And that's what was kind of really cool is like, you know, I kind of walked into the situation a little kind of green on being told what, how we live our life and, and being, being kind of like blinded to the fact that, you know, we, um, I've been told my whole life we're insignificant. We're nothing special. That's how we're living our life. That's what we should, you know, um, look at where, you know, we're on this insignificant back in this insignificant universe, you know, in this vast, um, um, scheme of things 
And in reality, you know, we, we are very significant, no matter what you, if you believe that the earth is a center, if you believe it's a little off, whatever you believe, there's something going on out there. And that's really the controversy is at the end of the day, it's kind of like, we may never know exactly what's going on because we may never figure it out in, um, in my lifetime and in Rick's lifetime, but we need to like start having a conversation about like, Hey, something's, something's not right. Something that we've been living about is not right. And it's kind of like, let's, let's talk about this. You know, let's not like just because somebody has an opinion about something that they're wrong um, and they should be shut up and and put to the side. You know, those days are kind of are, are coming to an end with the amount of information that you can get now. You know, there's there's no reason why, you know, um, we can't just have a discussion, a normal debate about something where people uh, can't, you know, can't talk about something. And that's really like what filmmaking and, and this whole situation for me is about is like, hey, Let's just sit down and talk. Yeah. And that's, that's what's cool. I mean, Rick and I have some great conversations about things. He's very passionate about what he, he loves. And, 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 and I, what I like about Rick is he goes to the ends of the earth and uncovers everything before he even starts talking about it. You know, he'll have an answer for everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned, KT, um, the, uh, the fact that you can't bottle this up. It's true. When the film first came out, man, every interview I had was basically a sword fight with me against everybody. And that's fine. I, I, I like that kind of sword fight. Uh, but this latest round of videos, just a couple of days ago, I did an interview with a, with a girl from sci-fi.com who had interviewed me back when the film came out. <laughs> and this girl has done her homework. She said to me, did you happen to notice that Scientific American published an article a couple of months back saying that the Copernican principle was falsified by this latest study? And I said, darling, you're the only one who's done her homework. You're the only one who caught that. I've talked to Breitbart. I've talked to Forbes. I've talked to LA Times. I've talked to, you know, Gavin McGinnis had me on twice today. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to everybody under the sun and nobody nobody picked that up but she did and it's true in the two years since this film was made the science has moved dramatically in the direction uh, of challenging the copernican principle and i know I, I, it's just a consequence of the seven years i spent in this research all the time i spent talking with the leading cosmologists in the world over the next seven years it's moving much further <laughs> so people who see the principle now are going to be prepared for the little dribs and drabs that they're going to let fall from the table. Uh, our sin was we blew the whole thing way too early before they had the proper um, explanations mm. in place. Uh, but there's no question the science is moving our way. There's no question about it. It's like if you look at history, this question of our place in the cosmos, the pendulum swings all the way over one way. And it swings all the way over back to the other. We have just passed the point of the pendulum swinging all the way over one way. And it is starting to swing back. And there's no doubt about it. Um, in 10 years, this will still be the film. 
that people go to watch when they want to examine the question of this great detective story of what is our place and significance in the cosmos. What do you guys plan on doing in the near future now here? Well, we'd love to do another film, but, you know, we have a, a job of work ahead of us. We have wonderful investors that backed us through thick and thin. And uh, job one is to get those guys paid back. Yeah. We're working very hard on that right now. Yeah. We have more films we want to make. I mean, we have barn burners we'd love to make. And the funny thing is, you know, they're all easy compared to this one. Man, this one was hard. Um, there are others we'd love to make that would be much, much less challenging from a, a conceptual. I mean, it's really hard to sit down and make this kind of a film so that the average person is at least a ghost of a chance of following yeah. uh, the, the, the argument. Uh, we have others we'd like to do, but job one for us is to get the principle on as many platforms as possible, to get the word out to as many people as possible, to get this film viewed as widely as possible, get our investors whole, and then we'd like to come back and take a swing at, uh, oh, well, you'll see. <laughs> yeah. Right on. KT, is there anything else you want to mention before we uh, wrap it up? Um, no, I just, I, I, I just, um, my, my whole goal with, with getting um, my voice out on it is, is just, you know, if take a, take a, take a good look at the film. It's coming out. I don't know if he, he told you we, we've got, we're getting it out on iTunes and Amazon in the next week or so. Oh, nice. And it, it's going to be really easy for you to get, and and just look at you know and 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 um, you know be able to judge for yourself and not listen to 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 the jive that's going on around you and if and if you don't enjoy it come back and 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 I'll give you your four ninety nine back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a it was a good show to watch for sure. I recommend it. People check it out. Well, thank you very kindly, guys. Really appreciate it, and it was a very interesting and wide ranging discussion. I send the links so when it's on Amazon because this probably won't come out before then. Let us know because oh. we can we can make sure we push it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'll put all the we links in the show notes and stuff. We will oh, definitely yeah. do that. Do you mind if I put the link to the video that you guys took about the controversy? Yeah, and please put the video to our website also because you can you can stream the film right now. Yeah, actually, it was really easy to do. I want to say that as well. You guys set it up well. Like, I've watched some movies where it's really frustrating to try and stream it and, and watch it. Like, I watched it in, like, three parts, and it was very easy to do, so. Oh, nice. The video that you're talking about is Thought Crime, right? Yeah, Thought Crime. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's free for everybody. Put that everywhere. That's, okay. I, that was made to be put everywhere. Okay, good. Yeah, that's 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 interesting because that's the that's you guys sort of documenting the whole controversy and everything, right? Yep. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that was that was like we need to make something, and I was like, let's just make another short film yeah. about, about the, yeah. what happened. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, yeah, keep let us know when that stuff comes out, and we'll uh, we'll link to all that stuff as as well as as your website and and your other videos. And we will also link to you through our social media site. So we'll look forward to you guys getting us the uh, the links when it's up. Great. Sorry we couldn't have you for longer, KT. No, no problem. It was all my fault. So Nick, I, I'm glad you got to talk to Rick because yeah. I knew you guys would have fun talking to each other. Yeah, he was he was great. And next time you get you know next movie that comes out, uh, you guys can both come back on again. Oh, thank you so much. You guys are great. Thank you so much for having us. All right, guys. Okay, guys. Have a good night. Good luck. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.
And that was our uh, chat with Rick and KT. A little dash of KT. Yeah. What do you think, buddy? That was interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's thought provoking for sure. Well, I have a hard time. I, I, I have a hard time imagining sim- it, but the simulation oh. aspects of it. Well, they talk about that in the movie. You 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 like it? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'll watch it now that yeah. I should have some time back. Yeah. Off work and I have less time. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. This whole cosmic, you know, microwave background map is very intriguing. And uh, but I just have a hard time thinking that we're that special. Like I believe that life is special. Like intelligent life is special and unique. But it's not the only. Like we're not the only life out there. Well, I mean, I I like um, the one thing. I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to argue or push it too much. Really. I don't want to uh, yeah, yeah. get into that during our show. Sometimes I'd like to. But, I mean, even if we start getting, if we can never see farther, I can accept that. But when we can start seeing clearer. That's probably, that would probably be a better way to put it. Like, right? what clearer, if we start, yeah. once we, what if we start being able to see that every other, all the other planets are orbiting the sun? Hmm. You know that that works towards it, or what if you start to, or if you see that they don't, or how's that working? Is it all just orbiting us? But can't you see that from can't you see that from satellites, and can't you see? That, I have that trouble with the fact that Earth is the viewpoint. I like I like that mainstream stuff. I don't give a shit. I have trouble buying all of that. Like to me, you're talking about climate models that don't work, and all these other. That's all model and theory based. So, like, I I have trouble with them saying they're detecting the light from the birth of the universe 15 billion years ago. Like, I know. And the fact that that's all, I mean, I, I'd have, I, I, have, I find it easier to go with arguments that throw all of that out the window. Yeah. yeah. Than them that will work off that right up to this point. And, and, then, then, we're say, gonna, and then say, oh, my God, yeah, that's, yeah, that proves that we're actually the center. Are, yeah, and you not guys the other are right about everything else. Except this one major thing, I find it's either like you guys are we're fucked about everything. You got you, you know what I mean? Can't you? But can't we? Knows, prove, can, but can't we can prove from our, from our, our satellites and our I stuff that's in, in the solar system? I don't think we can get anything far enough away to get a, a, a non to get a, to get a proper like view like of the you, Earth going you, on. You're the sun. talking about you have to get something. Oh yeah, I think you'd have to get something far away. You'd have to be. Yeah, but what about Cassini and these guys that are out there? Uh, we, Can't they look back and prove that we're going around the sun? Well, yeah, but he what he's saying is there's no way of proving that it looks the same whether we're going around the sun or right. the sun's going around us. Yeah. But I still look at it as we're the observer. Like, if we could maybe fire a probe off fucking four galaxies over... And see what it sees. So does it see itself as being in the far left of that bubble? Or does it see itself as being in a whole new bubble? And that's where I'm not... I don't think any of our science is fucking there. Whether physics does it or not, I just don't think any of our science is there yet. To be making presumptions about whether or not... I don't think we're there yet with science to be making presumptions about whether or not we're the center of anything. That's yeah. what I mean when I say talk to me in a few hundred years. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like even the talk about infinite being infinite, right? I mean, of course it's a metaphysical question, but you can't, we don't, maybe we can't understand what the universe is right now. Like we exactly. don't even have a, you and know, what's outside the universe. I think it gets dangerous when we start making assumptions, 
assumptions based on today's thing. I mean, that's the, you know. Look, you know what? That's what we used to listen, think the earth was flat. And you know what else we used to think? When I was in school, I learned, think you were tall. I learned about a tongue map that, you know, you tasted sweet on the tip of your tongue and all these other areas of your tongue. That's bullshit. What about flossing? That's bullshit. Oh, I just heard about that one too. Okay, everything's fucking turned on its head. <laughs> 10 years later. No, 10 to 20. Yeah. You know, it's everything. Everything we learned in school is pretty much bunk. But I, I mean, I'm not saying that he's all wrong either, but I just, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think that's that's the point I was trying to make that he wasn't. Yeah, but he wants up. to. He's trying to stick with real science, like the the current where science is right now, and he's interpreting it in that way that could mean this. Yeah, and I'm looking, and I understand I, I that, right? He's trying to stick observer. with that. It's an effect of the observer. You don't have a control planet, fucking, in the that's not in the middle of a map, right? And no place we can get to. Unless we throw a probe on Nibiru and it goes back around or something. No, even Nibiru is not far enough, I don't think so. When you're talking about <laughs> yeah, things you, that you, big, you want like outside You need galaxies. something outside the galaxy. Yeah. Or maybe on the far side of the galaxy. Huh. Hmm. Food for thought. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting though. Yeah, it was, I mean, a, good, like it was a fun says, chat. I've been indoctrinated, chat. so. Yeah. Well. We're trying to undoctrinate ourselves in Gramarica here. Yeah, it was a fun chat anyways, for sure. Yeah, it was a gooder. Yeah, thanks for coming There's a lot of bravado. I like Hopefully that. we won't get disconnected by even talking to these guys from the mainstream. Like, I wonder if the creationists must like, love them. I'm sure he's got a ton of creationist love, so it's not all hate. Maybe we can bring on some more Catholics. Probably doesn't look good for him, though, to start going to all these, like, do, do like, creationists have, like, events? Yeah, like, of course scientists? they do. Probably. Everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> Be a big hit over there. Creation Con. Creation. <laughs> We're at GrahamEcoAmerica.com. <laughs> Speaking of which, help us uh, get away with saying shit like that and saying ad sponsor and affiliate free. Yeah, we can say whatever the hell we want. Yeah, GrahamEmerica.ca slash support. Uh, big thanks to people who already do support us. Help us keep doing what we're doing. And um, yeah, big help. Big thanks for slash support. Sign up for a monthly today. And lots of other ways to contribute as well, like stories to com and voicemail and uh, Instagram, Twitter to connect with us. So, yeah, it's uh, it's good to hear from everybody. Yeah, app is hopefully coming. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Big right. thanks to uh, Rick. Rick. And KT. KT. And, uh, and all yeah. the scientists that were in the movie. Coming at you from the center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you motherfuckers next week.
Spend.